Buckle up, everyone, and welcome to Carpool Rugby League, a show where three rugby league tragics talk everything rugby league on your way to or from work. I'm Graham. I'm Shano. And I'm the Chameleon. Welcome aboard and on with the show. Yes, it's the off-season. You know what that means. It means we've got a special edition, a big retrospective episode this week, fellas. It's our first episode of uh, 2022. And it's the happy 40th... New Year. Yeah, Happy New Year to everyone. We're celebrating the 40th anniversary of the 1982 season today. But um, yeah, as you said, Shano, Happy New Year to all and uh, welcome for 2022. Yeah, thanks, Gray. Um, uh, big, big shout out to everyone. I hope the off-season's treating you well. Um, uh, also, um, just a quick, um, quick thoughts and prayers with the Tongan community. We know Absolutely. that rugby league, yeah. um, you know, rugby league goes a lot to the Tongan people, um, or, you know, the Tongan people have done so much, uh, for our wonderful game, uh, brilliant players. And, you know, I, I went, I was, uh, blessed one year and I could go watch Samoa versus Tonga at Penrith. And that was just that's still one of the most best atmospheres I've ever been at. And, um, you know, they're a proud nation. Uh, I know a few people um, of Tongan ancestry and, and yeah, just thoughts with them um, at this time. But uh, yeah, 40, I can't believe the 40th year anniversary of 82. Um, uh, It's as, as a, as someone who loves, uh, reading about rugby league and and sort of going through the history of rugby league, there's certain years where you can look at our modern game and say, all right, there's certain years where you can tick that that year helped towards the success. You know, you can talk about years like um, uh, 36, 47, uh, the, the golden period of the 50s, 60s and 70s where radio really sprung board uh, rugby league into the national eye. Um and, you know, we've talked about years such as 88 in the past. 82 um, is right up there as a year where rugby league was starting to see itself as a business. And really a lot of the behind-the-scenes actions uh, that occurred you know, through 81 and 82, uh, why we have the game we've got today. So hopefully you enjoy a little bit of a look back to 1982 and um, and what it had to offer. If you're an Eels fan, you you probably like thinking back to those times. And um, if you're a Raiders fan, uh, you definitely, you definitely uh, should pay some respect to this year. And if you're on the Illawarra side of the St. George Illawarra uh, ledger, then yeah, again, it was the, it was the birth of the Illawarra Steelers uh, team no longer with us. Sadly, I thought, I thought that, um, I thought that was one club that really should have stayed, but anyway, We'll talk about how that expansion started them up, and yeah, yeah, definitely, and that's that's probably not a bad uh, spot to start there, uh, Shano, because a lot of the talk uh, as we're recording this in early twenty twenty two is uh, preparing for next season in twenty twenty three, where the Dolphins will join the National Rugby League, and expansion something that's been a big part of the um the game for for many years, and especially in nineteen eighty two because. This was the first time 
1967 that the league had expanded. It was the 75th season, so um, you know, even though it sounds like a long time ago, there had been a lot of rugby league played. And we saw the introduction of the Canberra Raiders and the Illawarra Steelers. Now, what this did for the competition was bring it to a 14-club competition. So we had the six Sydney-based foundation teams, another six from Sydney, and then one from Greater New South Wales, one from the ACT. So it was a, it was a big moment in expansion because uh, we're starting to now see the, NR, uh, the NRL, the uh, New South Wales uh, Rugby League. I'm going to get that wrong a million times today, I reckon, Grippo. <laughs> but we're, we're starting to see this expansion and the dipping of the toes into um, regional areas outside of Sydney, well, which is something you've got to remember. That... Well, you've got to remember, the, 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 they, they really did when they did the 82 expansion. They really did look at the 67 expansion because Penrith and the Shire were seen as regional centres back then. And they looked at the, they looked at where future hubs could be, and they said for this eighty two expansion, we're going to look at at how they went. Now, on field success never really came to many expansion clubs. At, at, when you look at Sydney, um, Parramatta were just starting to seize their first pieces of success. They came in in forty seven. Um, really, the only club that, that that was new to the league that saw that saw a bucket load of success during this period was probably the, um, the Seagulls, Manly Seagulls, Manly Warringah Seagulls, um, the 67 clubs. Um, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but they had had one grand final. Um, that was the Cronulla Sharks. Um, yeah. They, they'd played a couple, Shane. They uh, played a couple by then. Yeah. 73 and 78. That's right. Sorry. Yeah, 78 was a replay 78 was, as well. Yep. And, and the, the biggest problem was there was a lot of apprehension as to whether expansion was going to work. The biggest problem was they didn't want to lose any momentum with growing Sydney and the Illawarra was a part of that. And in 81, Sydney just got the license from South Melbourne in the AFL to have an AFL competition, uh, to have an AFL team in Sydney. And they didn't want AFL encroaching into areas like Canberra. Um, they didn't also want the talent from Canberra bypassing Sydney and going to Queensland in, in there in what was starting to become a newly established um, sort of exploding rugby league center where some fine young talent was coming out of uh, was coming out of that region. So the New South Wales Rugby League in the early 80s really did strategically look at where they were going to put things and chose Canberra and Illawarra as the two centres, knowing full well that if they were successful, if they were taken on board by the locals as, as clubs, the 88 expansion of Newcastle and Gold Coast Tweedheads and the Brisbane Broncos would, would be able to take place. Really, it was the 82 expansion which led to this growth of what we now call the NRL. Without yeah. 82 without its success. And, and it was, you know, you read a lot of the, actually I found some um, committee minutes from the time of when they were really talking about expansion and, and they were really apprehensive. They, they were really hoping that this worked and they were banking on Illawarra being a very good rugby league hub at the time. Um, it had its own competition down South, which was, which was fairly strong um, and also use, utilizing Canberra as a regional centre where 
all of a sudden we can dip out of Sydney and start looking at places far afield to travel to, to play rugby league and to get that community into rugby league because the last thing they wanted to do was lose ground to the AFL and what also was a fairly strong Sydney union comp at the time. So that was that's why I say 82 was really important because it's when they started to look at this competition as a business and we're going to go through it was the first year of the Winfield Cup. Now, that's massive um, advertising and massive um, sponsorship there. And it was just about being able to get this competition seeing more and more like a business. And it really did springboard into the success of what we see as things like the 88, 89 era where you could start to have, you know, television. All of a sudden, this game was being able to, you know, you could sell the game. And, and really, I think this is the era that allowed for that, which, you know, a lot of people might look at their team in 82 and go, oh, it wasn't that impressive or things weren't that great. Or if you're a para fan, you loved it, you know, you're playing. But it really was, in rugby league terms, the year that rugby league started to see itself as a, a serious business. Like it saw itself as a business earlier, but this was a serious business now. Yeah, and, and, and as we were saying, it's a really big point, Griffo, for, for that expansion. Um, you know, apart from Newcastle having a team in the first two seasons back in 08 and 09, this was really yeah. the first time we started to see that expansion into regional New South Wales. And I suppose it went from a Sydney comp to a New South Wales comp. Um, you were probably a teenager at the time, Griffo. What could yeah, you remember for, of these well, new teams coming in and expanding the comp? Firstly, I want to wish all our <laughs> listeners a, a very happy 2022 um, New Year. First first podcast is very exciting. Um, yeah, look, as far as 1982 goes, the Chameleon uh, was uh, in year 10 at the time. Uh, I turned 15 in 1982. Uh, I know it was a time for the Chameleon where the chameleon discovered that uh, there was another gender out there um, <laughs> besides the males that uh, he saw at school in a single sex school. Um, unfortunately, the chameleon was very well hidden from uh, the other gender and they, they couldn't see the chameleon. Um, <laughs> it was too well camouflaged back in those days. And, um, and one might say maybe still is today, but um, uh, a few points as, as Shano was was uh, talking there, it sort of um, got my memory going. And, and a couple of things that from the time, um, there was a very strong push from Campbelltown. They wanted to be part of that expansion. Um, and I remember there was a big push. Uh, I think one of the big businessmen of the area, I think it was a solicitor, was John Marsden. And he was really pushing through the media for Campbelltown to, um, to become one of those teams. I think they got the nod ahead of the Raiders uh, from Canberra. So the other thing was that Newcastle were not interested. Mm. Um, when you think of regional centres in New South Wales, well, Newcastle is the largest. And you think, well, why wouldn't they have come in? Uh, and the reason was they really didn't want to. They, they were more interested in protecting their own local competition, which was, you know, the second strongest in, in New South Wales, that things were a lot more insular back in those days. You know, it was the Sydney Rugby League. Um, there was no 
you know, thought about why, why it was actually thought, why, why do we need teams from outside of Sydney? Yeah. Mm. Um, it was a different time. And it, as I said, much more insular um, in those days. And part of that was, you know, things like transport and the level of technology was different. Um, but uh, yeah, so I've, I've got, you know, pretty decent memories still of, of 1982. Um, and I'll talk more about those as we, as we look at some of the other aspects of what went on. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think the thing that um, many of the younger fans probably need to be aware of is the, not only the difference in the process, but how tough it was being a new team in the competition. We see a lot of new teams that have come in over the past Oh, looking, you know, 20, 25 years now, you know, like your Melbourne Storm, your Titans, um, and even the Dolphins there, your more recent expansion prior to that, uh, mid-90s was the first time that teams came in. But you, 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 you see it very differently these days. Teams these days and franchises are bidding to be a part of the league. They're also getting a lot of funding and backing from the NRL to be a part of the league. Um, just looking here, I don't want to put a downer for the Illawarra and the Canberra fans, but um, in their first season, they, they struggled. They, they took up the, the bottom two slots on the ladder in 1982. And it was one of those things where, as a club, as an organisation, they really had to, to build themselves and they didn't have the support that a franchise these days might have. You, you hit the nail on the head, Gray. And I think going back to what Griffo said, especially regarding Newcastle, because... He made a really good point. Back then, if you had an, a, comp, a, a team wanting to come into the Sydney competition, it was almost instantly at the detriment of your local, you know, your local group competition, yeah. which that's could where be most very, of the players were going to come yeah, from. Yeah, that's, that's right. That's exactly it. So all of a sudden, you, you and and you know, there was this um, group ten, for example. Um, I know, I know, uh, there was an idea of going to Bathurst at this time. Could and and they, and they knew that would just ruin the competition. They had a very strong competition. Newcastle same. Um, when Newcastle come in, um, there was also um, uh, a, lot, a push seeing if Coffs Coast wanted a team. And again, they said we don't want to ruin the local competition because this is all we've got. And for a lot of those people, like in regional centres, they may have an affiliation with a Sydney club. But they went and watched their local club every weekend, and that's where that that's where all that all that hype for the local club was generated. So if you got a, if you got if you got a team in, it was almost at the detriment of that competition, which is why. And Griffo, I think, put it perfectly when he said it's very insular because you you didn't want your competition ruined because it's all you had in the regional towns and that's all you had for rugby league. And what if, if rugby league failed in a regional town, that was it. It was very hard to springboard it back up. And um, yeah, I, I think, I think it showed for the first time that the rugby league real, I know New South Wales rugby league really did want to start thinking five, 10, 20 years down the track. What's this competition going to look like? And and it, it really was, it really was being seen as a competition that's no longer about Sydney. It's got to be bigger than that. But you needed significant buy-in from from those regional towns. I think another very important point for our listeners 
particularly again for the younger listeners who who don't understand you know the time this was a semi-professional league mm. every player um their football earnings were just on top of what they uh, from their regular job that they had you had a lot of players who were teachers um including uh one graham atkins who we all know um uh, he was with with Parramatta at the time. Um, you had uh, a lot of uh, players were were garbos when when you had um, you know the, you didn't have wheelie bins in those days. You had the guys chasing after the uh, the garbage truck, picking up the old tin bins, the round ones. Um, so a lot of that was seen as something to help their fitness. A lot of them did that. There were a lot of policemen. So the, these guys were, were working during the week and, and, you know, they might have trained on a, like a Tuesday and a Thursday and um, nearly all the games were played on Sunday. And there was no Friday night, there was no night football uh, in, the, uh, in, the, in the competition. There was one game on a Saturday and then all other games were three o'clock on Sunday. So it was a very different time. Um, and, and again, these things, you know, many of our listeners wouldn't be aware that that's how it was, but mm. um but yeah, that was the story. So um, guys were not on the massive contracts that they're on now. It, it was, uh, there was no money coming into the game from TV revenue or anything like that. It was just what the, each individual club could earn. They weren't, weren't getting a, a payout from, from the NRL or, or from the New South Wales Rugby League as it was then. It was just, uh, you know, what you could pay your players was um, what you got through your leagues club or any, you know, and sponsorship was minor compared to what it is today. So it was a semi-professional league. Yeah. And I think um, it was a group 21. That's the, the Newcastle region. I'm pretty sure off the top of my head. I think back in the day, they were paying players just as much as what Sydney, some of the Sydney players were getting. So well, you're top talking, liner there, they're, Mark, they're, they're, That's right. And that was, you know, that goes to show, you know, where people would often ask, why didn't they come out and play in Sydney? Well, for the top line player, he didn't have to leave home. And for some of them, they couldn't do it. It was a big, it was a big thing to to move your family and yeah. play. A lot of those guys would have been working in the mines as well. They were, they were, they were. And, and to find a job like that's why I suppose, you know, and I remember... I remember as a kid, uh, you know, watching the rugby league when it was on TV and the game of the day, and it would always have occupation. And a lot of them were sales reps, teachers, yeah. those sort of transient jobs where you didn't have to, you know, you could be a teacher anywhere. Um, the sales rep jobs and, and things like that, where you, know, you, you, could, you could get a gig, you could change teams and go to another city and get a gig, um, which these days is unheard of. As a rugby league player, you're a rugby league player first and foremost. A lot of them were stormen too. Yeah, yeah. They, they were paid yeah. to work, you know, at the club. Yeah, probably yes, didn't do yes. too much work, but yeah, um, yeah, working at the respective leagues club in some capacity. Um, but then, yeah, it was a different time. Yeah, it's definitely a different time, and even the um, the times were, were changing, and it, it felt like even if you're a, a fan at the and. At the time, just the expansion of the league resulted in a lot of changes. And the other thing I think also to, to give listeners, younger listeners, 
to travel around in Sydney back then, it was a punish. Like it wasn't like you could, like there was no M4 or there was, it stopped the Blacktown. And like we, us in the, we're in the Blue Mountains. To go down to, um, now to go to Penrith was, it was well over an hour. Our grandparents lived at Ride. To, to get down there, it was, trip there. It was yeah. a two hour job. And so, you know, for, for Penrith to travel to, to Sydney, that was that would have taken a chunk of time and that's plus another thing plus the cost to and that's the thing people i think now people think oh well then that's when i was saying in 67 talking about penrith uh, penrith would have been seen as you know it's, it was light years away from sydney yeah. even the shire some of these blokes then. might so, be taking a day off work to to play footy yeah. You had to. <laughs> and, and in 82, Campbelltown was still there. It was a satellite yeah. city. Yeah, it, wasn't it was. It really yeah. considered yeah. part and, of Sydney. And, that, um, and this is where Friday night football, when Friday night football come in, uh, one of the big concerns was how do players get to the ground if they've got to work? And it was, you know, that's why games are on Sunday. Yeah. Even Saturday football, the, um, the early game. inception of Saturday's football. Yeah, where it was, game. you know, people took time off work or they put in that they couldn't work. And yeah, it was a totally different time. But again, yeah. on that, Shane, oh, almost no one worked on a Saturday. That's right. Then. That's right. The shops closed. No, they closed the clock. There was nothing open on a remember, Sunday except remember, the service as, station. I remember as a kid, Blue Mountains had nothing open on a Saturday. You'd be lucky if the fish and chip shop was open yeah. until twelve. Yeah, it's it's just so I yep. mean, it's just so different. Like weekends were weekends for virtually everyone. Um, I, I, as I know, say, it, the only I, the only place that'd be open would be like a news agent, your fish and chip shops, um, and your 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 service station, um, and then you know, uh, like. The, the emergency services obviously they yeah. would have worked on on weekends but but pretty much everyone else was off was. saturday and sunday local coles i think closed saturday 12 and i don't even remember yeah, it was they didn't open on sunday, on sunday. No. no no not that time yeah. a bit I, later it was and, and and even like i remember that as a kid that's why it was i'd say there were a lot more people going to church on sunday there's not much else <laughs> <laughs> that's right that's right so, yeah, yeah. And, and look, as we, as we said, we talked about the expansion. Um, a few interesting notes there you guys brought up, um, not to, to go back and, um, and labour the point too much, but uh, that, that Campbelltown possible expansion, we ended up seeing Western Suburbs uh, become a part of the, the Campbelltown did. region mm, um, after this. And also, too, um, you're going to hear us mention Newtown a bit today. They were uh, part of the 82 season. 1983 would be their last, so it wasn't long mm-hmm. after this that Newtown were no longer a part of the competition. Uh, due to the two new teams coming in, as I said, we, we saw an expansion, which meant that the the competition went from 22 to 26 uh, rounds. And I thought I'd just quickly go through for people because for us, it's, it's easy to visualize and remember uh, being, um, I suppose, students of the history of the game, knowing what clubs were there. But I'll just quickly go through the teams that took part in the season because... Uh, some of these clubs are no longer in existence. They're, they're part of joint ventures, so on and so forth. So this gives you a bit of an idea of what the 1982 um, competition looked like. We had the Balmain Tigers, Canberra Raiders, Canterbury Bankstown, uh, Cronulla Sutherland, Eastern Suburbs, Illawarra, Manly Warringah, 
Newtown, North Sydney, Parramatta, Penrith, South Sydney, St. George, and Western Suburbs. So first first time we, st- we were seeing more, uh, how do I put this? The foundation clubs were all of a sudden outnumbered. We're seeing an expansion of the competition. And we start to see a lot of iconic things happening around 1982. If you're a fan of football jerseys, uh, have a look at 1982 because a lot of the iconic classic retro jerseys that you can buy these days were running around in 1982, like your um, Chocolate Soldiers, uh, the South Minty Rappers, to name a few. A lot of iconic jerseys there. I know they're our teams and we, we love those jerseys looking back. But it was also a very important year for um, for the competition. This was the first year being the Winfield Cup. Now, if you were, you know, you're growing up, even for me, you know, I was born in the late 80s. I grew up, um, you know, late 80s, early 90s. As a kid, for me, football was the Winfield Cup. I know a lot of people who were fans in the 80s. The Winfield Cup was a very big part of their... Um, their youth and their fond memories of the league. And also, too, this was the first year that we saw the Gladiators photo of uh, Norm Proven and Arthur Summons uh, become the trophy that is played for throughout the regular season. And I, I, I know, Shane, that you'd agree with me. Um, this is an absolutely iconic shot. And to go back and celebrate oh. the 40th anniversary of this becoming the Winfield Cup and the trophy that teams play for... I think is just a, a phenomenal thing to look back on. I look. I, I follow sport fairly. I follow sport globally. Um, I, I'm an avid watcher of, of a lot of sport. I really think that it's it's one of the best trophies in the world. In world sport, when you look at what a champion gets, um, what champions get, I think, I think for the time, and you've got to remember that JJ Gildian Shield, that was massive. You know, that 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 didn't go to the club that come first. That went to the premiership winning club. They'd run around with that yes. shield. Yeah. Um that to was have the something, trophy for that was the trophy the to have something you could hold aloft. And I think I think something that means so much to rugby league, this iconic shot. Um, I know later on, you know, there was this classic origin phrase you know mate versus mate and that was state versus state but it was it was it was about mate versus mate and i think that 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 shot not only is that shot a a brilliant piece of photography i think the trophy and the way it's it was set i I still think that that i still think that winfield cup one where it was just the both of them i know they've got sort of this hub sort of cocoon around them now yeah, but, like they're um, inside a footy that's to, pr- yeah, that's the, to protect the them from the players yeah, after yeah, the yeah, final. yeah. Um, but the two <laughs> the two players i still think it's i think it's one of the best trophies in global sport yeah, it is. i think for what it means that's yeah. got to be one of the best trophies and you yeah. know and seeing it for the first time you know, i think it's again a smart piece of of of, of marketing and business sense yeah yeah, definitely, and 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 when you it's, talk uh, about it, beats the toilet seat of the uh... yeah A League and uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, a lot of global leagues. It's like there's like there's like this round shield, and yeah, they all mean a lot. I, don't get me wrong. I, I, like I said, Lombardi Trophy in um in NFL, they, but then none of them have like they've got na- they're named after people or or things. Whereas this is just the picture itself is perfect, and and I was actually talking to someone who was new to rugby league a few years ago 
from overseas and and they said oh you know like when they saw the 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 they didn't believe me that that was a real photo and i had to actually get on the internet and show them they thought it was made up because they said nothing could be that perfect mm-hmm. yeah. and i Is said it- no you've got to see the grand final they're in they're covered in mud yeah and 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 to see and the person just went i've just got far more respect for that trophy now than i did 10 seconds ago now that you've told me that and i yeah. think it is one of the best trophies in world sport and by then, if not the best the photo it's, probably would it's have been a classic. About close to 20 years old i'd imagine that's right yeah well 60 yeah that was early 60s yeah. yeah so it, i guess you know when you look back it wasn't that much previous to it you know and we think we're talking about something from 40 years ago well that um that event was was you know just under 20 years before that that was before my time Mm. um but uh the years they move on don't they they do to put it in perspective don't seem that long ago to me and it's john o'grady john o'grady was the it's just come to me the photographer the photographer john o'grady yeah Yeah. Uh, and, and it was yeah yeah, it's it, it, it's very interesting because oh, oh, um, I was almost I almost called him O'Shea. I was something. This is this is what O'Shea was a, was a prop for the Western Suburbs guys who played in that game. And yeah. this is what's interesting was, to put it into context like of the time that they're, they're using this iconic photo from 19 years earlier. Um, what would that be? That'd be like us these days 63. making it. Trophy yep. of uh, something that happened in two thousand and three. Maybe, maybe yeah. they could have the Sattler the, tackle yeah, the trophy. Sattler tackle on Skinny Burn. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yes, that's uh, awesome. I reckon. Oh, I was at that okay. game. Chris, Chris, Chris Walker knocking on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but look, and and, and that that's also, uh, I suppose, um, you know, say for for some of us, it doesn't feel like long ago. You say they're Griffo, but. For some football fans, it seems unfathomable that a uh, tobacco company would be the major sponsor yeah. of a competition. But that Winfield sponsorship—that was a big part of rugby league. Huge. Massive. They sponsored everything. Winfield, yeah. like going through, they sponsored rugby league. Um, for fans of our, if you're a V8 supercar fan listening, they were they were major sponsors of of what was then the Nissan Skylines. That they were the, the premier. Yep. Uh, Mark Scaife's. They were the, they were the oh that 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 was the that was the, the, the Winfield car was the classic uh, you're a pack of a holes speech by uh, Jim Richards so and yeah. they had there was the um they had anyhow have a Winfield it was on the back yeah. of every um it was on the back of every magazine it was just everywhere Paul think- Hogan I'm pretty sure in the seventies um before you know Crocodile Dundee or anything when he was just an Australian sort of uh, personality comedian etc i'm sure that he um he did a lot of advertising for and the anyhow have a winfield mm-hmm. um in 1982 um you know just slightly moving away from rugby league but it was around that time that um you had a lot of billboards and um a lot of the cigarette advertising was on those and there was a campaign called bugger up B-U-G-A, um, and you'd see graffiti all over these um, cigarette advertising um, billboards and whatnot. I don't know what the letters stood for, but mm. this went on for quite some time. And eventually we saw 
the complete removal of any form of advertising of cigarettes. Mm. They were still able to sponsor um, like the, uh, the New South Wales Rugby League, but they couldn't advertise. Um, so that was their only form of advertising. And then eventually, of course, that disappeared as well. But again, just the context of a very different society that we lived in. And, and um, you know, it was, uh, it was a much higher rate of people who smoked back then. <laughs> Well, particularly in the boys' toilets. Uh, Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, like I didn't smoke um, myself. I know my sister tried to, she actually um, got me, uh, uh, you know, almost a butt of a cigarette and said, try this. Um, And I just coughed. So it didn't matter how much advertising there was. I wasn't going to smoke. My sister still still smoked. And this was a time where there was ashtrays in McDonald's. Like, you know, there was... Because we used to grab them and flick them around as um, Frisbees. But, you you, you know, it was everywhere. Everyone's... You know, you you went to a restaurant. The non-smoking area was was smaller and it made no bloody difference because yeah. right you're in the same room. <laughs> it was stupid. Yeah. It it's same an imaginary room. line halfway through the Leafs club. Because when I was growing up, my dad didn't smoke, my mum didn't smoke, but my uncles and aunties did, my grandparents did, my grandmother did, but all but the other three grandparents did. So it's almost like everyone. And I remember my dad just saying, they saying, "Oh, smoking or non-smoking? Oh, have you got one in the non-smoking? Oh, no, nah. I'll just anyway, I'll do. We're in the same room, but it defeats yeah. the purpose." Yeah, yeah, and, and it shows the point of the time, and, and who knows? Like, you, if I had to explain it for to young people these days, um, yeah, we could be looking back one day and looking at the the VB Blues and saying, "Wow, there was a alcohol sponsorship." I think I'm amazed. The attitude, at, yeah, I'm amazed that's still going on. Yeah, anyway, that's, that's something. That's a different debate for another yeah. day. But yeah, but, it but just you're shows, right. You're right. It just you're shows right. the. Just, the society we were living in at the time. Where you but it's not uncommon, it. Graham, for the players. To, so a lot of the players to light up a cigarette. Oh, that's time. right. That's right. Half time. <laughs> yeah. They do it at half that's time. A, it's, yeah, it's crazy. Crazy. Yeah. But that's Coaches in the stand. Yeah. You know, if there was a close game, you'd look at the coach and, and you knew. I, my, you knew my, that my, nervous. I, 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 was it my grandfather? He had a, he had a, he had a, um, he had this theory. Oh, it might be my uncle. It must be my uncle. I'm trying to think who it was now because I was only a kid and we must have been going to the game because it was there was bugger all on telly. There was the game of the day and it was delayed anyway. It was not live, yeah. No, no, it wasn't live. And it must have been my uncle because he, he, he was saying if you go to the game and it's a really close game and there's two points in it, he said, look for the coach that's smoking. The other team's going to win because <laughs> Shane and Shane smoking, he's, home, he's, he's hoping he's, – team for victory and yeah another thing just uh you know it's more coming back to me but in those days you're at the game they stopped the clock when there was five minutes to go they did yes they did because I remember the reason, that. that was horrible no it was it was dreadful the players must have hated it too because you didn't know how long was yep. to go yep i um, i forgot was i believe that was to try and control a bit more the, the kids yes. from running onto the ground, which in those days they did at the end of full time. It was great. You'd still the corner the post. You'd, yeah, you'd, still you'd the corner post. The that corner was the post. thing. The corner post is what you wanted. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. so good for the players because they'd get abused and, you know. Um, but, yeah, I mean, again, it's just a completely yeah. different 
society and 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 standards um to, to today and, and griffo there were times where that five minutes felt like 15 oh absolutely there were times where that five minutes felt like 15 and and you know and the worst is if um if you thought to yourself i watched the game of the day because they didn't put the score up it was just the the the, the, the game so you if you if you didn't if you'd lost control lost track of what the score was yeah you wouldn't have a clue you were buggered you wouldn't have a clue no yeah yeah, and, and round the grounds. Round the grounds always yeah. good on the radio. Well, that was the thing. Around the grounds, there was much more reliance on the radio in old days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah, just to get remember, a score, you couldn't look it up on your phone. No, you or couldn't. The, and no, all the games were on. Yeah. You'd listen to and the game of the day. There's no internet. You'd listen to the game of the day. Just wait. If your wait team wasn't the on the game of the day, you'll get the updates from around. The, there's nothing worse than your team being twelve points up. And all of a sudden, they'd go around the ground to six points down. You go, yeah. what the hell? What the hell happened? Yeah. Another thing we saw for the first time that year, um, you know, it was interesting and something that's that stuck. Um, and I know Shane, this is something as a South Sydney fan that um, you've enjoyed for the for the last uh, forty seasons. That's the Charity Shield match. I think I don't think a lot of people yeah. realise just how long this game has been played. Initially between South and St. George, and then later uh, South Sydney and St. George Illawarra. Um, but, yeah, the, the, the first Charity Shield game was played. I think uh, St. George won this one nine points to seven. But yeah, that was really the, day, the start of... Um, back in the day, they won They won most of them. St. George did, did do fairly well. Um, yeah, it was a pre-season game. Um, you know, it was, it was good. It was, um, it was something, I think, you know, like... It was something that was a preseason game, I think, for people to get interested. <laughs> Again, preseason was different as well because you know it wasn't about it wasn't yeah. like it is now. It was that it was that game. It was that game to 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 just you know, it was just a preseason game. And, a, and they said, "I oh, did a charity and get shield." It was a bit of practice. And... It generated a bit of money. Um, it generated a bit of money, you know, and. Um, for the local communities um, of South and St. George. My, I'm, I remember being told once that the reason why it's South and St. George is they were the two, that they were the two teams. It was actually a, a rugby league thing uh, where they chose the teams with the most um, premierships um, and South and St. George were, 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 were the first and second um, for the time. I don't know whether that means if if, if you know, like St George are lucky they're still around in that regard then, but um, yeah, it was something that in it back in the day it was it was an idea to try and generate a bit of money, get a preseason game under the belt, and choose and choose those clubs, um, which is quite interesting um, because South Sydney at that point in time they were really in the doldrums they 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 were they were not. The late the late seventies were not kind to South Sydney, and and um, the early eighties financially weren't great either. So um, to have South Sydney as part of that, you know, when you look at historically, is a bit of a surprise. But but one that between the two clubs has generated much interest, and and is now a real feature of the preseason. It, it's televised back. Back when I was a kid, you had to go to the Charity Shield if you wanted yeah. to know, if you wanted to watch it. It was, there wasn't it. I can't remember the first time I heard it on radio. I, I, I really can't. I, I think 
oh, up here it was 2KA. Um, and, of course, the voice of the mountains and everything was, was the Panthers. You listen to the Panthers game with, um, with updates. Um, if you couldn't get the Sydney channel at the time, which sometimes up here when I was a kid was, was a bit hard, but on my, tra- on my transistor, it's a funny, eh? my tranny, transistor radio. Um, say tranny now, it means something totally different. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it was, it's, it's, it, was a, it's, it was a cool concept for its time because formalising a pre-season game really meant you were locked into playing it where some, a lot of clubs would rather not because again, people are working, you don't want injuries. Um, sort of the reason why people don't like preseason games today. So to lock in a preseason game that generated a bit of money for the community was 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 fairly revolutionary for its time, and and something which um, I'm glad has, has stuck around even today. I, I'd hate for that to to dissipate that charity shield because it really is for me as a South City fan. That's the start of the season that you know rugby league's right around the corner. When you when you're watching the charity shield and over the years, yeah, there've been there've been some bludgy games where you know, like no runs really put in their top tier players, but that's okay. You know, you've got juniors coming through you want to watch. You've got you got a series. You know, it's 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 rugby league, and, and it's, it's for it's a good, good cause. It, you know, yeah. you look at it. Yeah, and the, and and just recently, uh, yeah, yeah, and, and you know, and probably in the last 10 years that the charity side of that has really exploded, which is a good thing for both communities. And I know, um, you know, the South cares initiative and, and the people of Redfin, no doubt, um, reap some of the rewards of, of that. And, and it, with it being televised and everything, it just shows it is an important part of the rugby league calendar. Definitely. And, 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 and even looking at this 1982 season, I'm going to say it a lot, it's a different time then. Um, even the season itself started a little bit earlier. I think it started in the last week of February. And as I said, it's a 26-round season. I think, uh, yeah, Graham, can I just, sorry, I just remembered it. It was the, it's South Cares, Wollongong Hospital and St. George Hospital. It is I now, think are yeah. the recipients. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I, I'm pretty sure now that's what it is. Yeah, correct. That's, I could that's... be wrong if I'm, oh, yeah. If there's someone out there that wants to, not you're right. If I'm fair call, um, I could be wrong. But no, yeah. no, you're definitely right on that. And and you know, it, it is something that has has uh, been a big part of the season. As I said, there was a lot of football there when we had our 26 rounds plus finals. Uh, the Charity Shield was introduced, but also a show of the times, Griffo, was the fact that during the 1982 season we also had the KB Cup. So if you were to describe to um, someone these days what the KB Cup was, or, you know, some people might remember it as the Midweek Cup, um, how would you describe um, to them what it was? Others might remember, you know, Amco Cup, Tooth Cup, so on and so forth. Yeah, there was a lot of cups. Um, but, yeah, it started as originally as the Amco Cup, um, I think back in 74. Um, yep. And I, I remember going to the Amco Cup final in 75 where East beat Para, I'm pretty sure. Um, yeah, it was a midweek competition. It was a, uh, a knockout competition. So um, it involved all the uh, teams in the Sydney Rugby League competition, but you had other teams from other parts as well. Um, I think by the time it got to be the KB Cup, um, not quite as many teams um, as you used to have. Um, 
in in its first year. I think uh, it was won by Western Division, um, the the Amco Cup, and they beat the Penrith Panthers. So Western Division was uh, a team from uh, a representative team from I don't know what groups it was, but but out Bathurst Way, probably double Orange and so forth. Um, but by the time it 1982, it was a combined New South Wales country. Um, you had combined Brisbane. You had a team from New Zealand. Um, I think Shano mentioned it was a South Island. Um, I remember seeing a, an Auckland side. It may not have been 1982, but there was a team that did compete as Auckland um, just in that competition. Um so you did have teams from outside of Sydney um, who competed in that competition. Um, but it was generally won by a Sydney team, not always. As I said, Western Division won the initial uh, 74 competition. Um, I'm pretty sure that the combined Brisbane team might have won uh, one of the uh, years as well, a team that did feature Wally Lewis. Um and obviously some other good players, but I'm pretty sure Wally Lewis played for that combine Brisbane before, well before the Broncos came into the comp. Yep. Um, what often happened was that you'd find that the competition got a lot of criticism because you had uh, you had some teams that basically put in a reserve grade side uh, midweek if they had a big game on the on the Sunday. Um, so it, it was, it sort of lost its effect in some ways and got a lot of criticism when teams were not taking it seriously. Um, the flip side of that was that sometimes you got to see teams, um, winning a final. And I know as a, as a, as a young boy, I, I did follow the Western suburbs magpies, um, and uh, in the time, you know, even though they were a bit of a force in the 70s and, and early 80s to a lesser extent, um, you know, I got great joy in 1977 when they they won the, uh, it was still the Amco Cup then. Um, so, and I'm pretty sure Cronulla, who couldn't win a, a competition in the Sydney Rugby League, I'm pretty sure they held... Um, an Amco Cup or a KB Cup aloft at some stage as well. And so I remember, South, I remember South Sydney, the, the only thing you had to cheer for is I think it was the 93 Challenge Cup by then. And they won that beating the Brisbane Broncos. Okay. And so that's, that's an interesting link in, isn't it, fellas, where we're starting mm, to see this competition. Uh, like this is later on, this is going into the 90s, but this actually became the preseason Challenge Cup. So over the years, this did evolve, and yeah. some people—that's where that uh, I suppose that's right. came yeah. from initially. And I think the Challenge Cup, the preseason Challenge Cup, was when you saw the start of uh, quarters rather than halves. Well, yeah, they, well, they the, did that in the, the KB was Cup the KB was, Cup. Was, I was yeah, going to ask, quarters. Griff, it was, was quarters, that in quarters? Yeah. Yep. And this was on quarters. And this was on a Wednesday night. Wednesday Is that night, right? And yep. this was almost now. If we we, we see our links and, and going forward. This was almost a, a made-for-TV thing, wasn't it, Griffo? This oh, was definitely. Big yeah. TV thing, Wednesday night. Yeah. Um, what does that sound like? I well, know we're going the, to talk about it later, but that sounds like 
a bit of a toe in the water for what state of origin would yeah. become. And the proof yeah. and the proof is there, Graham, was that it, you weren't okay. The game of the day, and and I suppose for our listeners who don't, the game of the day was always at the uh, was always at the Sydney Cricket Ground back then. I think that was a bit no before so, that, Shane. But, but well, no, nah, because I remember watching South Sydney, South Sydney versus Penrith at the Sydney Cricket Ground and game of the day. And I, 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 and they were they went right through till I think 84, 85. Game of the day was an eighty six. I think game of the day was at the local ground. Yeah, I, I think in Sydney maybe for for re, maybe if teams further out. Yeah, I'm not sure about that one. I, yeah. I'm not. Yeah, I, there was a time when yeah it was. Yeah. I, I know when I, I, I even kid. remembering as a kid that it wasn't yeah. really a thing. The televised, and the only reason I say that is because the televised games could only take place at certain grounds. Not every ground could actually cater for television. Um, so by, by eighty-two, they could. Yeah, because I know by that eighty-two, they could. It was we nighttime football; they couldn't do. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. And we were seeing because I remember yeah. um, there was a. I remember going to watch South versus Canberra at Parramatta. Yeah, and if it so, was a so, night game, it, yeah, yeah, you weren't necessarily. Yes, yeah, sorry, Griff, night time. I'm talking about now. You weren't necessarily seeing these games at your local ground. You were yeah. going to, you're going to specific grounds who could cater for. Um, but basically, for, for for a long, long time, from its almost its inception, you had the Wednesday night Amco Cup was played at Leichhardt. Leichhardt it Oval. was the only ground that had the lights at the in, time. Well, in 82, to, just to, to keep on the context here, um, most of the games were either at Leichhardt or uh, Lang Park. And then yep. I think they also used um, the field up at Tweed Heads. The other thing that was um, for a, for a, a viewer uh, advantageous about the midweek cup was that you got to see the whole game. It was the only time where you got to see all 80 minutes um, because the Sunday game, the match of the round, was delayed and all you saw was like it was a one-hour time slot on Channel 7, um, but maybe by 1982 that had changed. But for through the 70s and uh, Channel 7 were the broadcaster with Rex Mossop um, but you only saw uh, you know, like an, a highlighted version. Um, the Saturday game I was on the ABC. It might have been the whole game, but again, I think it might have only been a one-hour highlighted, not live. Nothing was live. Uh, the Amco Cup was not live. It was delayed uh, a little. So, um, again, different time. You didn't get live rugby league apart from the grand final. And a lot of those midweek ones, you mentioned all the different television stations. I think Channel 10. Um, 10 did the, yeah, for, did it, the was the, it was the midweek cup. And, and it started uh, really Ray Warren's uh, career as a TV broadcaster. Yeah. He, Keith he was the, Keith Barnes as well was his offsider for a long time. Um, but yeah, Ray Warren was the commentator um for yeah from the start um until probably i think 1980 and then i remember him going to uh 
because I think Ten might have lost it, and then he went and did radio with Two GB for a year in eighty-one. But anyway, um, and then of course we we know that the the football went to nine. Uh, sort of initially, they got state of origin. They had big Daryl Eastlake and Ian Maurice, and Ten got the uh, got the 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 game of the round. Um, they sort of got rid of Rabs Warren at that stage and replaced him. Uh, I think Graham Hughes. Graham Hughes, I remember sort of being took over. There as a kid. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, and then uh, eventually, as we, as we know, uh, Ray went over to nine. Hmm. Um, and uh, a nine actually were doing the before he got there. I think they were doing the Saturday game with that big Daryl. Big Daryl, he's like. <laughs> yeah, and if you're a fan, um, there's some just on good that game. Stuff. You're right, Griffo. The game of the day wasn't it stopped by then. I don't know what I thought I was. I must have been a must have been a different game I was thinking of. Must have been a yeah. finals game I was thinking of. It's finals could well have been. Played, could well have been. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, All the finals were played at the SCG. SCG. Yeah, it must have been a final. Sorry, Griff, you were right. You're right, mate. No, but yeah. So KB Cup definitely, you know, another sign of the times. Very different competition. So they had this midweek thing. If I had to describe it you know loosely to um to sport fans i suppose it's almost like an fa cup style thing that you see in um very in, similar uh, in, very in, similar in the soccer or here in australia i think they had the ffa cup i think that's what they call it but then the 1982 um version of um this competition keep in mind you know it would have ran throughout most of the season i think like they would have started i think they started off in march uh, the final was played uh, in August between Manly and Newtown at Leichhardt Oval, and uh, the the Manly Warringah Seagulls uh, took out the um, the KB Cup in 1982. So um, Parramatta weren't the only team to uh, hold a piece of silverware aloft. Uh, it was also a good year for Manly, um, but looking at um, the actual season itself, the Winfield Cup, uh, which is your week to week, you know, it's it's had many names over the over the course of time. Uh, the, there was one game I wanted to pick out, boys, and have a chat to you about because it's something that seems almost unfathomable in rugby league. But uh, we did see a game in 1982 at Henson Park between Newtown and Canterbury. This game finished in a nil all draw. Now, this was the first time it had ever happened, and to this day, it is still the only game in Premiership football to finish uh, nil all. Uh, for what we hear from the game, um, as I said, it's before my time, so I can't give a first-hand account. Uh, Newtown did dominate possession and territory. The Bulldogs' defence was unyielding. And um, probably the most famous thing to come out of this, other than the scoreline, is a great line from Newtown coach Warren Ryan, where he said, the better side today drew. Um, just on this game, fellas, uh, not, not to talk about the game itself, but the fact that there was a nil-all draw. Now, it's not something I want the fans to think was commonplace back then. This could be something that we never see again. And I know no. in, in, in rugby league these days, Shano, if it was nil-all, they go, okay, go play for another 10 minutes. You, yeah, you know, try and score a you're point. You're right, Gray. It's a different but, era, and it shows how low, hard and tough the defense would have been on the day. Those scoring games were just, they were part and parcel of that of that, of that that era. Um, you know, like I remember going to watch um, South Penrith, I think it would have been 86, 
and South won 6-4 and there wasn't a try scored, uh, all penalty goals. Um, uh, there's a, the grand final between uh, Para and the Dogs. What was that? 4-2 uh, or something. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, so, so, St. George so low, Dogs won as well that was very low scoring. Yeah. The low, low scoring um, games were, were really... You know, I think I think back then that the idea was, and I know through the 80s, it wasn't probably till the late 80s you might see a blowout. But if a team put, if you if a team put 18 points on you, you were you're in trouble. Like you'd, yeah. you'd never see, like even games where you might see um, score lines of like 24 18. The the the, the you know. The Daily Mirror, as it was back in that, would just you'd get a caning. It'd just be a defensively horrendous game, and you know it was people would whinge about the game and the score because, um, yeah, because it was the fence was what won you games back then. It was hard. Yeah. It was it Shane, was uh, you kicked the daylights out of you. There's a the common fence. denominator in all of the above that you've just talked about, and that's Warren Ryan. <laughs> um, he was the coach yeah. who um, he started as an under-23s coach with the Magpies underneath Roy Masters, but then he he went to Newtown and, and got them to a grand final in 81 for the first time in like decades and decades. Um, but his emphasis was all on defence. And, and then he, when Newtown... Um, vacated the premises who went on to the Bulldogs and had great success uh, at the Bulldogs with that umbrella style defense. So he really revolutionized the way that the game was coached. Um, and, and definitely the emphasis became defense. Um, in 82, I'm pretty sure we still had three point tries. We did. Yeah. Um, it wasn't until the year after they became four. Yeah, it's crazy when you think about it. You only got three points for a try, and then the conversion was worth two. I still think it's crazy that we got a four-point try in a two-point conversion. But um, I think, you know, well, it's time not the discussion here, but I think a try should be worth more than double the, the goal to convert it. But anyway, um, but yeah, Warren Ryan was the man who... Um, who revolutionized defense and his teams, firstly the Jets and then the Bulldogs, uh, became known for it for the basically for their toughness. And um, whenever you played a Warren Ryan coach side, you generally would have walked off the field battered and bruised and with not too many points. Even if you did win, you wouldn't have scored too many. Well, one Jay Gibson, he was the same Parramatta, wasn't he? Like I think uh, his teams were good defenders, but yeah. they certainly uh, they scored plenty yeah, of points. They scored. I think. I think in. I think in eighty two, was eighty one. One of them. I think they were like their against column was eighty eight. It was insane. Yeah. Like that's that's just and uh, and even even to the point where I think in, I'm pretty sure it was eighty two. Canberra finished last. Um, their against column was 300 points. 
Three hundred and something uh, points. Is that actually, right? eight hundred and sixty-two. Eight sixty was it? My, my apologies. Oh, the difference was three hundred. My apologies. I think. Oh, it's even more than that. Yeah. No, it's more than that. Being very kind. kind. They had a bad year. <laughs> I, was reading, I, was, I was reading the wrong thing. Was, yeah, it was the offers like at yeah. that stage was something you might have needed some oh, medication okay. the old, for. The old, <laughs> the old rugby league project. It's uh, it's it's it's, it's throwing me a, it's throwing me a curveball. Uh, yeah. If you look at, uh, yeah, sorry, Shane, oh, there is a list there, but yeah, yeah, 269 yeah. four for the Raiders, 862. Yeah, that's, that's overall 862. My apologies, that was at home and away. That's a lot of points again. Column. So there were only three yeah. tries. Yeah, yeah, that's right. We're supposed to show they're in <laughs> trouble. But the it? other thing to remember too is they're playing 26 games. Like they lost oh, that 22 games that year, Canberra. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, uh, we keep yes. saying it's a lot of football, and that's why minus 593. Sorry, yeah. I was looking at the wrong column, listeners. But that's where it also comes in too that with all this football too, they would be battered and bruised by the end of the by the end of the season, and that's why if we are, we might as well talk about it now that you've mentioned, um, you know, Parramatta and Jack Gibson, Shane. Parramatta were they were they were a juggernaut this nineteen eighty two season. They were phenomenal. They they ended the regular season out of those twenty six games with twenty one wins. Um, they, this was the middle of a, a three-year run of premierships. Uh, so they've won the competition the year before. So going into this season that we're talking about today, they were the defending premiers. They won in 82. They would then go on to win in 83. And if you're a Parramatta fan and you're hearing about some of these greats of the club, um, most of them were, were in this team. Uh, they were brilliant. The, the, you know this this side had this side had had not only the experience of, of very good players it it had it had some players coming through which were absolutely outstanding you know they were phenomenal the other thing with this club was you know Mick Cronin would have been getting on a bit by then yeah he was um, a little he was, was certainly elder the, yeah. older than the yeah. The, the Ellers, the Kennys, the Sterlings. Yeah, you know. but and that's the thing: the Ellers, Kennys, Sterlings. They're Eric just growth. This, yeah, Eric growth. By getting on, these okay. young people was, coming through that were just, you know, that were just these young people coming through that were just absolutely brilliant at, at, at football, and you know, um, just just outstanding rugby league players and an outstanding rugby league team. Um, Ray Price, you know, he. He was probably one of the older ones as well. Yeah, you know, it's, yeah. they'd had this, they were just, not only were they perfectly coached, they had brilliant players and they had leadership in that side that, that was second to none, which is why yeah. they, you know, that, they look, were... and again, I, I remember the 86 um, side. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not old enough to remember this 82 team, but in you know, loving reading about rugby league, when people talk about this side, it was just phenomenal. They were captained by a fellow by the name of Steve Edge, who was the hooker. Mm. Now, Steve Edge had captained a couple of, uh, I think he got captained a couple of St. George Dragons teams uh, to victory in 77 and 79. And mm-hmm. then uh, I'm not sure if he went to Parra in '81, but but then he captain, he went there in '80. Okay, yeah. um, so 
he captained those eels to three consecutive grand finals. So, um, and I, I hope I'm, I, I think he did captain the dragons in those other, I might be wrong on that, but he certainly played with he them. Did. So he won five grand finals, um, at least three of them as captain um, and possibly five. So he captained the 77 side, sorry to interrupt Griffo, and, right. no, um, no, which was the historic drawn uh, grand final. They went on to win the following week. Against um, was it Parra? Yeah. Yeah, I think he yeah. captained the 77. Um, he wasn't the captain in 79. I think by then Craig Young had okay, come along as captain. Yeah. Then he went on to Parramatta. And um, not only you know, we are we mentioning that there was the um, uh, premierships for, for him in 19... Uh, sorry, 81, 82, 83. But... Um, I think he also captained the team that lost the grand final in 84. Okay. So he's, he's a guy that he, I, I don't ever recall him playing for Australia or indeed for New South Wales. He may have played for New South Wales, but I can't recall it. And Max Krilich was certainly the, the dominant uh, hooker back in the day, but he played um, the one game in 1980. Okay. Yeah. So that's a phenomenal record of grand finals and, and captaining grand finals uh, for, for Steve and Edge. Um, his nickname, I think, was Sledge. Uh, but, but they had other guys around him, Parramatta. Um, in 81, they, they had Arthur Beats and they had Bob O'Reilly, as well as Mick Crone and Ray Price. These were experienced guys who all played for Australia, um, O'Reilly and Beetson weren't there in uh, 82. They had some, some uh, younger forwards coming through there, but um, they were known for their back line. And I think in 82, it would have been uh, Paul Taylor, mm-hmm. uh, might have been the full back, and you would have had, um, I think it was Neil Hunt on one wing and uh, Eric Groth on the other. You had the centres uh, made up of Mick Cronin and Steve Eller, Brett Kenny was the 5'8", and Peter Sterling was the halfback. Now, you can go through a hundred and over 100 years. You'll not find a better club backline than that. And, and include anyone you want. Um, that was the best backline ever assembled for a club side, um, and that's why they were so hard to beat. The Most of the forwards were, were workmanlike players, some of them played for Australia, like Ray Price, like um, I think Peter Wynn. Uh, um, so they had some good forwards, Ron Hilditch. Yeah, but, he's a guy um, I want to bring up, Griffo. He, I read, I, I read um, a little while ago about the Parramatta side in the 80s, and, and they called him the Hitman, I yeah, think. Yeah, Hitman Hilditch. Yeah. Yeah. What was he like? Because I'd never really heard of him. And then when I was reading this article, it really painted the picture of, of, an, of a brilliant hooker. Yeah, he, he started as a hooker. He was a, he was yep. a tall guy. Um, started as a hooker. He was a hooker in the 70s, but then, of course, they brought across Steve Edge. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so Ronnie Hilditch went uh, in as a prop. Yep. I was certainly big enough to do so. Um, but, uh, yeah, he, I'm pretty sure he played for Australia. Um, yeah, he, but he was, a, he was a very good player. Um, it, was, it was not a guy who was going to bust the line or 
he wasn't explosive, but he was just one of these guys that, um, you know, eight a minute player, never gave up, you know, strong defender. Um, they called him the hitman. Um, but I don't recall him being a dirty player as such uh, in a time where there was a lot of dirty players. Um, but yeah, he was, he was a tough guy, um, not from, you know, whacking guys with a stiff arm or something like that so much. Um, but, but just uh, hit him hard, like, um, with his, with his defense. So Ron Hilditch was certainly a cornerstone of, of those great Parramatta sides, including. You bring up a great point there, an 80 minute player. And again, people wouldn't realize if you, no, if you got taken off, that was it. Yeah, that was, that's right. That was it. You, you, there was you no interchange. You once, there was no interchange once I think you, you were replaced. Only had a couple, of, a couple of replacements. I don't think it was four. Once um, you were replaced, then. you were off for the game. So, again, being an 80-minute player was, was a really important facet of the football. And I suppose another great year in rugby league in 89 – uh, the Tigers fans, yeah. our main Tigers fans, <laughs> remember, uh, remember some some very infamous. Um, yeah, and the coach uh, was Warren Ryan. Warren Ryan, Ryan replacements, yes. Thirty-three years, put, and we're still talking about may, it. He may have put the cue in the rack, thinking yeah, it was over. But to to be fair, like they had the game um, sewn up, really. Yeah, they were, they were um, strong. Yeah, but he, Canberra, he great Canberra he needed team. some guys out there with a bit more mm. speed. Because it took off Ciro and Blocker, two huge men. Yeah. He replaced them. Kevin Hardwick was one of the guys that went on. Um, I can't remember who the other one was, but I liked Kevin Hardwick back in the he was, day. He was again. He was, he was another toiler, just a hard-working yeah. player. Uh, but he wasn't. You know, he didn't have the the skill or the That's power the of, of line Ciro. main hair. Yeah, he yeah, was yeah. Great. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Isn't that funny? You know, like whenever we talk about these old ones, we always end up on the nineteen eighty nine grand final. Shows yeah. how iconic it was. And look, we we are going to obviously bring up here and there. We're going to keep talking about this this Parramatta team. Um, we've mentioned just how um, how good this team was. One thing that came up in that discussion, there, fellas, was um, a little bit of a show of the times. We started to talk about how tough it was, and we said, oh, he wasn't one of those blokes that would throw a stiff arm or foul play. The actual game itself, um, how we put it, is a bit looser than what we see these days. Yeah. And believe it was. Yeah, and one mm. thing I wanted to bring up to, to highlight this, this was also a time where they were trying, I suppose, to do something to, um, to try and... Clean change, it up. Clean it up, yeah. yep. And, and one of those things that come to mind in 1982 was the suspension of uh, Bob Cooper. Bob, I've gone talk about that. You say now, what you're saying, then I'll, I'll share a few things. Now, I'll, I'll get you to um, to talk a bit more about it. I'll give you just basically the uh, the facts and what I'm, I'm aware of. But from what I understand, Cooper was suspended for the equal longest period in rugby league history. So... Um, from memory, he was uh, was he playing at West at the time? He was, yeah. And I was a Western Suburbs supporter at that time. <laughs> and I think they were playing against the Steelers. The Steelers. Um, Lee Pomfret was the poor gentleman. Yeah. So so basically, um, from what I understand, he ran into join a brawl. Um, look, he, from from what I've heard, there were about three Illawarra players that were flattened by him. 
Um, this led to um, his suspension in which uh, the New South Wales Rugby League Judiciary Chairman Jim uh, Coleman saying, Coleman's, yeah, yeah, yeah Jim. such of these must be obliterated from the game and I'll begin by obliterating you. Um, the suspension from memory, was it 15 months? It was either 15 or 18. 15 months is what I've got in my notes. That's, yeah. that's, that's unbelievable. That, but you could, 15 or 18. You but... could drop a guy on the, the on his, <laughs> you could drop a guy on his head back then. It was a good tackle, but if you punched a guy, you were sent off. Well, so... see, the thing was, and I, I remember it vividly. I didn't see the, uh, the game cause it wasn't on TV, but I think I might've saw footage later, but I do remember it because as I said, I was a Magpie supporter in, in that time. And I do remember where I was listening. I was at my grandparents' place at Monterey, um, listening on the radio. It wasn't the game on the radio, but they had the uh, around the grounds. I didn't go around the grounds uh, for that. They're going around the grounds. <laughs> and, and the, the around the Illawarra, it would have been an Illawarra guy, um, talking about what had happened. And poor old Lee. Now, Lee Pomfret was a back. He might have been a winger. Bob Cooper was a massive human. Um, in a time when, unlike today, where, you know, um, uh, most of the guys are really big guys, this was not a time where, you know, guys built themselves up. As I said, they were semi-professional, but he was a giant of a man. Um, and obviously he could throw them. I think he only, from memory, from what I can recall, he only might hit Lee Pomfret maybe a couple of times but he sent him to hospital. His face was mangled. Goodness. Um, so he, he did connect with poor old Lee Pomfret. Um, Lee Pomfret started his career with the, with the Canterbury side and, and then joined uh, the Steelers in their first season. I don't know if Lee played again after that or not. Not sure. But, um, and I'm not even sure if Bob Cooper played. I think he may have come back, but it was a long time. Minimum 15 months he copped. Um, you know, you think of today's game and they talk about long suspension, six weeks, you know, gee, that's a long time. Well, in 1982, um, under gentleman Jim Coleman's, who was a, a magistrate who'd been employed by the, uh, the rugby league to, to be the chairman of the judiciary, um, he was, uh, he'd given long suspensions to, I think, Dallas Donnelly. Um, when I say long suspensions, we're talking over 12 months. Um, Les Boyd got uh, like a 15 months or 18 months for a, an elbow on big Daryl Broman that broke his jaw in state of origin. But these were the sorts of things that went on almost on a weekly basis. Hence, um, as you know, this was, uh, it, it all, it was a time where, where violence was just sort of part of the game. Um, but it got to a point where people thought, well, you know, this is ridiculous and they're not going to let their sons play rugby league because of, of what was, was going on. Um, now, of course, you're not allowed to throw a punch. Back then, yeah, you could throw them. But as you said, Graham, uh, there's a lot of things you could do. Um, but... Yeah, it was for the betterment of the game. Is that the that, same Lee Pomfret that was part of the 77 St. George side? 
Ah, uh, could have been. Yeah, I thought he was with the Bulldogs, but it's possible that. No, I think he, he was at the Dogs. He was at the Dogs, but I've got this vague recollection. I remember reading about the 77. It's quite possible. Uh, 77. Have started yeah, St. George Dragons side. Went to the I've got Dogs. this vague recollection of seeing that name. Or a, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he was an only a little guy. He was, he was mm. probably a winger, uh, maybe a centre at times, wow. but um, obviously it, it was a it mismatch. caved his face in, didn't it? It did, yeah. yeah. It, it did. It, um, you know, uh, yeah, like guys might throw 10, 20 punches and not done the damage that Bob Cooper did oh. with essentially one punch, maybe two, on uh, on poor old Lee. So, the you know, the upside is that it was seen in by society as well and by the rugby league that this can't happen. We can't have this sort of thing going on. Um, and unfortunately for Bob Cooper, um, he was sort of a scapegoat to, to a large degree, but for the betterment of, of the game long-term. Mm, and and just, just on that, where you, you were talking about Lee Pomfret, and I'll uh, also give a bit of an update on what happened to Cooper after this. But Pomfret came to um, Illawarra in 82 from Canterbury. Uh, he played at Canterbury 80-81. He was at the Steelers in 82. As you said, Griffo, he was... Um, he, he played some center and some wing. Uh, he played fullback uh, when Illawarra started at, in 1982. He, um, he played in the first ever Illawarra game against Penrith where they got done 17-7. But um, yeah, unfortunately, as a result of that, uh, that altercation with Mr. Cooper, uh, he was left with a broken nose, a fractured cheekbone as well. So uh, this was just after he had been looking to cement his... Uh, First grade place at fullback. He looked like he was going to be the fullback going forward. Uh, an injury um, impacted on that. Uh, he did end up coming back and playing for Illawarra uh, later on in 82 and then into 83. As we know with Cooper, he spent a lot of times on the sidelines. He actually went, I found this in my research, he actually went and played Aussie Rules football with St. George in the um, Sydney oh, Football okay, League. Sydney competition, okay. Yeah, he... Um, he won the best and fairest award in the uh, in the Sydney AF, uh, <laughs> Aussie Rules comp. Uh, I'm sure he would have been a ruckman because he was a big lad, Bob Cooper. Oh yeah, because yeah, so I, he played, I, I, he played I, second row in the um, in the rugby league competition. But I thought this was uh, an interesting thing. Uh, so in 1984, because you look at his suspension, he wasn't able to come back into the 1984 season. Uh, by then, uh, obviously, his uh, contract and uh, association with the Magpies. Um, was over, so he played uh, a couple of games for the North Sydney Bears. Uh, he only played four games, and then he dislocated his shoulder and retired from football. So maybe his uh, his history of throwing punches may have there's, had a bit of an impact on the old shoulder. There's a great photo of Bob Cooper and Hollywood Hartley. Uh, for those who don't know who Hollywood Hartley is, he's a he was a referee, and it was in one of the it was in one of the. Oh, it was in a book. I don't know. It was a hundred years of rugby league. It's anyway. It's in one of these books, and he towers over. Like, Hartley wasn't a big guy to begin with, but you just see him towering over it. And to show the tenacity of Hartley, he looks him straight in the eye and starts with his finger pointing. But Bob Cooper had a foot and a half on him at least. He's he's a huge human being. Yeah, so, he was a big guy. <laughs> That's a great photo. I wish, 
if uh it might be one to throw up on facebook because we'll it is quite if we can, we can it's, it's, it's it's in one of the rugby league books where he's just standing over uh probably about to be sent off Santa, <laughs> but yeah yeah and look, other things other big things you know about the um 82 season obviously we mentioned para we had that long suspension we had the nil all draw um going through some of the the other awards for the year um at the moment we're used to the the dally m award going to um the best player in the competition but back then griffo we also had the rothmans medalist so we had two awards now greg brentnell of uh, canterbury got the rothmans medal and the dally m award went to um Ray Price, but a bit of a different concept that we don't have anymore, where there was basically a award given to the player who was voted by the referees as the best and fairest. Yeah. Um, Rothman's was a cigarette company. Um, and eventually, of course, that's their, their Rothman's medal disappeared because they were um, a cigarette company. So um, but that, that was the most prestigious uh, and had, I'm not sure when it was, uh, when it came in, but all through, through my childhood, it was the Rothman's medal winner who was the, the player of the year voted on, as you said, by the referees on a, I think they gave a three, two, one for each, uh, each game. Um, an interesting concept where the referee decides uh, who the best and fairest now fairest best and fairest was was always the award even in, you know in your in your junior rugby league yeah. um, you know it wasn't the player of the year it was best and fairest um, that was just the terminology now if you think about referees if someone's going to be arguing with them and all that so you don't think they're going to give them too many votes even if they maybe were the best player um they might have thought, well, they're not the fairest, so I'm not going to vote for that guy. Um, Dali M uh, came in, um, I guess, in, in some quarters. Um, some people might have thought, well, we're not necessarily getting the, the player of the year out of this Rothman's medal. Um, then it was brought in by, by the Daily Mirror, um, which was the, uh, the main paper for the for the news corporation people mm-hmm. um, in those days, you had a morning paper. So you had the, the daily telegraph was a morning paper. Um, and the rival for was the Sydney morning Herald, uh, hence the name morning there, um, which was the Fairfax uh, group. Um, and then the, uh, in the afternoon, you had the daily mirror from news corp and you had the sun from uh, Fairfax. So interesting concept that you got a morning paper and an afternoon paper. Uh, Again, different times, no internet in those days. Um, You got your info from, and obviously newspapers were were big sellers then because that's where your news came from. Um, And and obviously, you know, you got your your, your six o'clock news as well or 6.30, depending on what channel you watched in those days. But you didn't have blanket coverage and news like you do now. Mm-hmm. Um, so Dally M was instituted uh, by the Daily Mirror, uh, the News Corporation afternoon paper, uh, and um, certainly it didn't have the prestige 
that the Rothmans medal had for for many many years. The Dalian was just sort of seen as a a bit of a sidelight, you know. And mm-hmm. I don't know how often uh, a player won both. It might have happened, um, but uh, but it was some time before the Rothmans medal was no longer around, and then the Dalian became. Uh, the major award for the an only individual. one I can think of is '87 Peter Sterling. Okay, off the, top, off the top of my head. Yeah, I can't think of any off the yeah. top of my head, but and, um, and I can't even tell you when the Rothmans Medal disappeared. But I'm thinking it was probably late '80s or early '90s. '97. '97. Bradfield. Yeah, '97. Wow. Do you want to know something about the Rothmans Medal as well? There was also a Queensland Rothmans Medal well, recipient. So it was a, so there was also a Queensland one, which from memory finished it. in '96. I think Paul Green won it a couple of times, the Queensland one, and um, yeah, before he came down to the Sharks. Yep, yep. Mm. And uh, yeah, not Tony that I, Curry in '82. Um, not that won I can it, think of. Um, yeah, 1982 was uh, yeah. yeah, Tony Curry. He uh, came down. And Gene Miles, I think, won it one year too. Yeah, and that's. Early, Mid eighties, eighty seven, yeah. and that's a that's another link too. How we were talking about how the 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 you know we talked a little bit before about the different leagues, and also mentioned that you know there was the the Queensland State League with all these different teams. Um, you also had the Brisbane competition running, which was the main Queensland competition uh, in Brisbane. That was a you know seventeen week competition that was running up there. So it it's it's it was a very different time in a sense then as well that we didn't just have the national rugby league and there's one you know rugby league competition we have to understand that in queensland as highlighted by the the prestige of that um queensland rothman's medal that there was a brisbane competition running up there that uh that up in queensland was you know to to them on par with the new south wales competition happening down here exactly the other thing graham interesting I think in the early days of the Amco Cup, you might have had those uh, Brisbane-based sides that competed in the Amco Cup as well. I can't recall them having any success, um, but uh, I'm pretty sure they were part of the Amco Cup initially. So it was quite a lot of teams um, that competed in that. And then eventually they just made it a combined Brisbane side but because uh, mm. they're their local teams they they didn't uh, they couldn't match it with the Sydney sides because in in a lot of cases the best players would would come down and play in in the Sydney competition because it was it was a superior competition. You had some good sides up there, um, but they tended to dominate. I know Wally Lewis played for a yeah. long time with Wynnum Manley after starting with Valleys um, and had a lot of success there. Um, you had Mal Meninga playing with um, the South Brisbane Magpies under coach Wayne Bennett, and they, they had some success um, there as well. That South Brisbane side had guys like Mal Meninga, Gary Belcher, I think Bob, uh, I'm not sure on Bob Lidder, but they had, a, they had a pack side under Wayne Bennett, and then a lot of those guys went, uh, Peter Jackson might have been there, and they went to, a lot of those guys went down to the Raiders um, a little after the Raiders came in in 82 and then we saw the Raiders become quite a force. Yeah, I think, because I remember that that um, 
that winner manly side that had like ian french and gene Miles. Uh, it, it was it was stacked it was it was yeah. stacked it was huge yeah. like those um the other i think redcliffe had some some decent players they did and uh, western uh, suburbs had a had a small patch of yeah, in the seventies, they, they, yeah. they went well. Because I, yeah. I used to, because I was a West supporter, so um, I'd want to see West win in Brisbane as well. And, yeah, and yeah. you got you got a lot of media through Rugby League Week. Week, yeah, I um, remember. They they you know had a section each week, yeah. quite a lot actually devoted to that Brisbane competition. So um, you sort of, you knew what was going on, who was with who, and. Um, even though you didn't actually see any of the games on TV. Um, but, yeah, Rugby League Week provided uh, a lot of info. You had Big League as well, but Rugby League Week was was much more um, on, the, on the Brisbane side of things than, than your Big League had back in those days. Yep. And when a Manly won the, won the Brisbane Cup that year, 17-3 over South in the final. Who was that prop? It prop came from Winner Manly. Neil T. He played for St George and West. It was a prop. Oh, I can't think of his last name. He was another you know, good player. I don't know if he played. Yeah, it was another Winner Manly player. I remember reading about him again through Rugby League Week, which sort of gave you all the info you needed. Yeah, the Seagulls. So yeah, and and you guys actually mentioned Rugby League Week. There, it was. Probably at the time the most, well, it was, the, it was the biggest, you know, magazine publication. And this is also in an era too that we've got to remember you don't have the internet where you just jump on and you look for yeah. something. You, the articles aren't, you know, apart from the newspapers, it's not all being filtered out, um, you know, and, and drip fed day by day. You would get your things in the newspapers. But um, one of the big things that Rugby League Week did that year for the 75th anniversary um, is they put together. Um, their team of the first 75 years and um you know to give you an idea there were a lot of um a lot of uh big names on the panel uh, frank hyde probably one that people would have heard of and then throughout the team um without going through the whole team it had some of the greats like churchill uh gaznia uh raper messenger so on and so forth so you know that was that was a big thing at the time that people went to rugby league week for their information and it was every week did, looking for that did that they have fulton in there graham just out of interest was he did he make the uh so their hall of fame team no do you want me to read you the team i might no, as well now that I've as well yeah. Yeah, yeah so we've got churchill um yeah. harold horder daly messenger res mm-hmm. gaznia uh, reg gaznia um ken irvine Yep. Vic Hay, Duncan Thompson, Duncan Hall, Sandy Pierce, Mick Madsen, um, sorry, Madsen, uh, Norm Proven, George uh, Truick, Johnny Raper. Okay. So, wow. so weren't really. They didn't include any any guys that were sort of recent players. Mm. It's funny. Uh, you're right. No there. Beetson, there's no Fulton. There's uh, 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 no Sattler. Yeah. And if you uh, look at it, McCarthy, now, Coot. You think Coot would get a run? Yeah, probably not over Raper. He would have only no, been no. considered oh. as a, a lock. Mm. And interesting uh, too, because some of the the selectors of that time might have been of an earlier era. Oh, and you see a lot of oh, the most definitely. There yeah, that would have seen from an early era. Players. Yeah, would look very different if. Um, if we were to do it again today, yeah. 
Well, um, even it's still, it's hard to imagine they didn't have beats in there because by that stage, yeah. beats and yeah. well, he retired in 81 unless he went and played up in the Brisbane comp 82. But, but yeah, I mean, he's, he's one of the first forwards that gets picked in any sort of yeah. side. Mm. Revolutionary, of, wasn't yeah. he? Yeah. But uh, so interesting because a lot of those names, certainly you guys wouldn't have been familiar with. Our listeners no. wouldn't be familiar no. with. Um, but a few, yes. But uh, yeah, the main ones, yeah. I think the people, obviously, we've got, we've still got awards and uh, named after the great Clive Churchill, Daily Messenger. We've got Norm yeah. Proven Irvine. on the, um, yeah, the Ken Irvine medal. Uh, we've got yeah. Norm Proven on the trophy. And obviously, with that St. George. Um, the dominating St. George team, uh, the names of Gaznia and, and Raper are, um, are household names when you're talking about rugby Langlands? league. Langlands was in there, it wasn't, wasn't he? there either, no. no. It wasn't Graham Langlands. No, Langlands. Wow. no Langlands. No. And I think that's yeah. where I think with these teams back then, they would pick the best player in that position. I know when we've on the podcast done our um, mm. you know, best team or team of the year, you they might put a bloke out of position to fit them all in, but you know, and in a lot of teams, if you're looking at um, at uh, you know the best players, they'll pick the best player in that position. If you're the second best player, then that that's unfortunate you weren't in the team. So um, that's the way it was looked at. Uh, one other thing before we finish up on the actual Winfield Cup season itself, we mentioned. Did they that- say? Did they mention a coach? No, they didn't have a coach. Not that I've got no, here. Those they wouldn't have mentioned no. coaches or, no. or reserves no. or anything. No, they just, a, just, just a just a team. Yeah. Yep. And uh, um, you know what? You know why? Because Norm Proven would have been captain coach. Maybe could have been. <laughs> but, uh, or Churchill <laughs> was even Clive Churchill captain coach. Churchill well, was, was it Proven? Was Proven captain coach for like the last three or four years? He certainly three. did quite a few. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, these sorts of things, you, how they wouldn't have Bob Fulton and Arthur Beats in there, you know, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, and remember also the Immortals, Immortals. did come out of yep. Rugby League Week. Mm. It, yeah. it, was, uh, it was a Rugby League Week promotion a little bit after 1982. I'm not quite sure what year it was. Well, yeah, interesting that, uh, that those... To, you know, they were amongst the originals. So, um, the Fulton, anyway. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, whenever you name a best side, it's yeah. always... Yeah, it's conjecture. Opinion, you know, yeah. It's an opinion. Yeah. A lot yeah. of, you know, and a group have given their opinion. Another group would have a different opinion. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and the one thing that um, I think we've all got an opinion on is the final series. Now, just before, as I said, we finish up on the Winfield Cup, we know that Parramatta went on to win... The, um, the premiership, the process of them uh, eventually doing it was through a top five final system. So from what I can gather, fellas, the top five system... Um, <laughs> was great. Yeah, we, we, it we, was we great. all, we it all was enjoyed great. it. And it rewarded... It uh, yeah, it felt as though, and especially considering too, uh, we need to remember this is back in an era where in 82, there was expansion to 14 teams. So it was a... It was a different competition, but I feel as though this is a format we've all talked about in the past, and and something that we we think is a it's, good way it's to decide. Funny, a like it, it had a bit of pageantry too, because there was a fifth place playoff. Um, yeah, in, that made it tough for yeah, some teams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I think eighty five, there was uh, Penrith had a fifth place playoff. They did. Yeah, 
And um, I think they beat Manly. Um, yep. To get into the to the eight, oh sorry, the five, for the first time ever, made the semis. Yeah, and it's just it it was it was not it was a good system. I I didn't mind the top five system. Um, for people who don't know it, uh, in week one, uh, the minor premiers got the week off. Um, mm-hmm. Two played three. Uh, got another pie of the cherry if you lost, and four and five played for a sudden death knockout, and then. And then, yeah, it, it it was it was a good it was a good system. Um, you, the other buy the cherry if you lost uh, two versus three, whoever lost that, they went on to play the. Now I've got to think it. The they winner went, of four five. Winner of four yeah. five, and then one yeah. and two played for the grand final, wasn't it? Yeah. So one, so one, and two one played, yeah. one, played yeah. one played the winner of, winner two, of two and three. three for the grand final yeah. spot. So if you're one of premiers. You could you could basically have a week off, win a game, get in the grand final, have the next week off, and then play the grand final. So you were really rewarded for coming first. Coming first was was paramount. Yeah. And it in also those gave, days, sorry, Griff, how you go? Yeah, in those days, it wasn't seen as that a sort of advantage that we talk about these days when you get a year off. Uh, sorry, a, a, a week, week off. off. Um, particularly you're if, back you on know, Cooper <laughs> yeah yeah well he got weird yeah that's he got over him, a year. But, yeah <laughs> but um if you were minor premiers as Shane all said you got the first week off then if you um if you won your next game you're straight into the grand final with another week off so you, you've had a lot of time off for the league um and there wasn't this emphasis on you know, you really need a rest. Um, you need a week off just to refresh and, and whatnot. Um, it was seen as more that, you know, the advantage was to, to play week in, week out. Um, but, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, I think, a good system, um, bearing in mind there weren't as many teams. But... Um, from the time that I started following rugby league, it was always the top five system. Um, uh, certainly, you know, in operation, and we're talking about 1982, it was still in operation there. Mm. And it, I was <coughs> to say, the, the interesting thing as we talk about weeks off, um, this, this was not necessarily your typical um, final series where you, where you have the minor premiers uh, winning and getting the extra week off. Parramatta actually, we'd call it these days, um, after having the week off, went the hard way about it. So effectively, they had the first week off. Um, but Manly were also a very strong team that year. Manly won the first week of the finals uh, over North Sydney 26-3, which set up a week two uh, semi-final match with Parramatta. And Manly actually defeated Parramatta 20 points to nil. So it was, in fact, Manly who then got a week off with Parramatta having to play Eastern Suburbs in the preliminary final to uh, gain that um, spot against Manly in the grand final, which they uh, eventually won. So, um, yeah, Parramatta had the first week off. Manly were the team to get the week off before the grand final and actually, um, and actually lost off the back of that. The momentum that Parramatta had... They took into the grand final. I don't know. I don't know the stats, and, and I don't have them in front of me. And 
but I remember when the top eight system, when the top five system finished, one of the one of the things that was that was out in the media was okay the, the volume of teams, but the other thing which was thrown out in the media a lot was in actual fact the percentage of teams that won after having a week off, and so it must have been like like you said there, Graham. You know, and, and Griffo brought up a great point. You wanted to keep playing football. It really must have been a high or a higher percentage than they thought of teams who would. Um, who would you know not, who would who would lose after having the week off so i remember that being brought up and although the the first inception of the top eight was horrendous that was one plays eight and yeah well, the mcintyre system that was just that was just backward but um yeah it's the system now is pretty good but that top five system i i didn't mind it i thought it was for the volume of teams we had i thought it was a good thing Mm. Oh, it was it was uh, a, a good you know, a good system. Let's face it, you know, you had to win more than half your games. Well, that that was an interesting <laughs> point said, said these days. That was an interesting point I was going to bring up here because the top five were Paramanly, North, East, and West. South came sixth on twenty nine points. Their record for the year was fourteen wins, one draw, eleven losses. And then you had Newtown had um, 13 wins, two draws, 11 losses. I've got to go down to to 10th spot here. St. George were the first team that had more losses than, than wins. You, you can see draws played a bigger part. But for Western Suburbs um, Magpies to be a part of this final series, they had to win 16 of their 26 games. And then they were knocked out first week in the um, in the playoff by by East. You had to be a strong team to you really earned that final spot. Really had to be a strong mm. team. You did. Yeah. Um, the the surprising thing, you know, um, when I was looking this up was to see the North Sydney Bears in at number three. Um, They'd been per- perennial sort of cellar dwellers, North Sydney. Um, and I'm thinking that this must have been the time where they had a, a guy by the name of Mark Graham, who was possibly the greatest ever Kiwi player, um, a very large second rower, very, very good player. Um, I'd say that would have been the peak of his powers to, to be getting North Sydney up to to third because um, they yeah right through my childhood they were they were down near the bottom of the ladder they came good in the early 90s they had some very good players but mm. yeah obviously in 82 it was a good year for them yeah and it would have been a real disappointment for them looking at this final series after finishing third um, as we'd say these days they were knocked out in uh, straight sets they Got belted by Manly in week one, who went on to play in the grand final, and then um, East beat them in a close one in week two. So it was a, it was a bit of a tough run there. Um, and, and another interesting thing just looking at here, um, as I'm looking through this final series, uh, grand final those days, as we mentioned, Sydney Cricket Ground was a big part of rugby league. There were 52,000 people at the Sydney Cricket Ground. Uh, the crowds weren't too bad for the, um, the final series, uh, you know, averaging out around sort of that low 20s 
uh, low 20,000s, apart from the Parramatta Manly game at the cricket ground, um, which there was 31,000 there. But one thing we sort of talked about briefly off-air, fellas, was the... um, were the crowds back in um, in these days? Now, this is before the time that I was going to, to football games, but um, I'd imagine, given the um, given the rugby league at the time, um, you know, crowds were a big part of the game because you couldn't always see it on TV, but they're probably not what they were today. No, they were not. Um, and, it, and it seems sort of strange in an era where you had very little uh, football on TV. Um, the, the crowds were, were quite low. Um, the average, the, the, crowd, the team that had the highest average uh, home crowd was, was the Sea Eagles, who had 12,291. And obviously, they were a successful side at the time. They had some outstanding players. Um, then uh, Para had 11,500. But bear in mind that Parramatta were playing out of the Belmore Sports Ground uh, in 82 and through uh, 83, 84 as well. Um, so their fans had to travel uh to get to Belmore, which was the the home ground of the Bulldogs. And those two clubs, they didn't really like each other much. I mean, they were the two great rivals of of the 1980s, um, the Bulldogs and and Para, and they've still got that rivalry going back to those days. Um, You look at Newtown, 4,778 was their average crowd at Henson Park. And a lot of those people were sitting in their car watching the game. Oh. <laughs> it's quite feasible that uh, that I might have been in, in, in watching some of those games, uh, as my dad was a, a Jets supporter. Um, but Henson Oval, I don't know if you've been there, boys, but it's a it's got a massive uh-huh. hill. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was very very sparsely populated uh, that hill. Uh, thinking back it was probably the biggest hill and all grounds had a hill in those days um apart from the scg uh it would have by far been the biggest hill and there was hardly anyone there um i as i mentioned in those days i was a magpie supporter and i would travel on the train to lidcombe oval with all my black and white gear on the flag my shorts my, my jersey um, I'd even have the socks on uh, and uh, probably have a hat. Um, an average of 6,883. Mm. Um, not a big crowd. Um, and and I think, and it was a successful year. They made the uh, the top five, but then they sort of went down a little bit and the crowds dropped over the next few years. And if you got 5,000, you thought, gee, this is a big crowd. Um so, yeah, those figures, the only one that really stands up, I guess, to, to, to today's uh, patronage would be the Sea Eagles with their, you know, over 12,000 a year. And I think um, on that, Griff, like looking at, it was a punish to get the football games back. Like I know well, I, when I was a kid, I started going, 
And I take my hat off to my parents who used to take us and my uncle who used to take us. Unless you really lived close to the ground or you had some form of public transport close by your house where you could catch the train into the game, going to the game was just, it was a difficult thing to do. It wasn't, yeah. you know, like you said, you were catching the train in and, and, you know, navigating Sydney, you know, things were worlds away and, and trying to get to the football was, was tough in itself. And for the young people listening, you'll, you'll notice there that every um, well, stadium, I'll call it a stadium, probably shouldn't, um, they're, all suburban. they're all suburban yeah, grounds, they're suburban all parks. Yeah. Yeah. You've got Belmore, Brookvale, Endeavour Field, Henson Park, Cogra, Leichhardt, Lidcombe, North Sydney Oval, Penrith Park, Redfern Oval. Yeah, well, like these, are, these are the you, suburban grounds. And that, that was the other thing. If you couldn't get a seat, like... I didn't care sitting on the hill, but for a lot of adults, they'd prefer to sit on a seat. So, you know, like I remember Penrith Park, like it, it only had a very, very small amount of seats when yeah. you know, back in the day. So, yeah, it was it was not only tough to go to, but you were you were you were, you were on the ground if you if you went. There was sometimes in a lot of grounds there was a couple of silver silver rows of seats. Yep. Um, close, close to yeah, the close, close to, to the, the fence. fence. Yeah, yeah. Redfin, that was that was a, Redfin had their red and green seats, but um, yeah, it was very minimal seating. And again, if you if you didn't live near a train station, or you know, getting to the ground was 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 tough. There's no shuttle bus to the ground, as you'd see today. Yeah, but the, the like you know Brookvale Oval, for example, mm. which has been seen as a currently it's seen as a dinosaur of a ground um it was well i thought wow but they've they've got a grandstand on two sides of the field like that you know that one mm. behind the the goal posts and the other bigger one um at uh, along the uh yeah. the western side of the, of the field um and like you know as a west support where there was a piddly little grandstand at lidcombe oval um, and I never sat in it. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, if, if they talked about all seats are sold out, well, that might have been like a thousand people, maybe <laughs> not even that many, because yeah. um, there just weren't yeah. many seats. So, you, yeah, you essentially, you, you, sat, on, uh, you sat on the hill, or, or as Shane all mentioned, you parked your backside on the, uh, the splinters, uh, the splintered seats, behind the uh, the fencing and there might have been four or five and, rows of those and it was a pretty dismal day when it was raining oh, absolutely. <laughs> raining on the hill and, and, and just keep in mind for those that haven't um when we may have mentioned it the, the sydney football stadium was still um six years away the the roosters were still playing at the was, sydney sports yeah. ground which sports ground that was it it's, yep. it's yep. sort of that where the the footy stadium yeah, it is pretty much yeah, sort of next door is, there. Yeah. I think technically it's uh, where they put the car park. But to give people an idea, you know, it's not as though they they basically, you know, did it up or so. It was basically grass with a hill, and I think it spent a lot of time as a um, as a dirt track racing venue. So they, they, there was a lot of this multi-purpose. They, they well, didn't because this... you also had the showground precinct there, Graham, where the Easter show Easter was. Easter show, yeah. I remember going to the Easter yeah. show there. Yeah, yeah. so. It's very different time, um, and that just shows when you know we got to the late '80s. The Sydney Football Stadium came in. That was a big 
that was a big deal. And we were still, um, you know, many years, it wasn't until 1999 that uh, the current, um, you know, stadium precinct at uh, Homebush was built. So we were really playing every week at a suburban ground. And for those, for some of these... I think something else on that, Graham, about the grounds was this the surface was just oh, awful. yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Um, the, the yeah, middle of the field was just a mud ball wasn't it, it was they were dirt. um yeah. and and this it, it all gets back to the fact that it was not a 100 percent professional game no. there was very little that what we consider now was being professional um the fields might have started the year green um but by the end of the year they were largely brown. Um, the, the technology wasn't there. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, they trained on the field as well. Mm. Um, you know, you had your three games. Um, so the fields were, were awful. And um, not, you know, you had games postponed. Like sometimes if you'd had really bad rains, um, the, the council council closing yeah right because because for yeah. some of these grounds they were public sports fields yeah so quite often um quite often you know like um there could be there could be school touch footy competitions going on yeah there. it was um yeah you know, it wasn't closed gates yeah it, it so to speak you, you did I don't know if there was any games postponed in 82, but it was something that happened that uh, if you'd had very bad rain, um, you, you would hear from time to time that, you know, such and such a game has been postponed and they might have played it midweek or, or some other time. Um, so, yeah, very different. Um, and, and I guess... Yeah, a lot. Of, some of our listeners wouldn't know any different. That every every uh, week when when we see TV football, the surface looks immaculate. And if it's not, you know, you, you hear a lot about the surface. You know, from time to time, we've had, particularly Bookvale has been come on a lot of criticism um, as players get injured on on certain surfaces. There've been one or two other grounds that have been criticised for for their poor quality surface. Um, um, so I'm just going to leave it at that for a moment because I think I need a refreshing drink uh, <laughs> throat's a bit uh, dry but I'll be back with you soon listeners and boys yeah just while um, Griffo uh, has a quick uh, pit stop and recharge there um, it, it was interesting to mention there Shana you know it's it's Another thing that I've only just thought of and I didn't really have in my notes, but this is back in an era too where I'd imagine you would have had your reserve grade. Yeah, oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you you have, go to the football, and, and, it's a, it's a big day was, out. You could, it, was, it was, and you'd go, all, you'd go for all three grades. Um, and, and, and it was good because sometimes you see the promotion of a player who, who might have played um, President's Cup and then, and then went through to reserves and then all of a sudden there's an injury and... That they, they, they might have that you know, people played two games of football. Now they might have been on the reserves, but and the way the numbering worked, the numbers just kept going up um, as as you went down the down the line. But just on those grounds, it, it was horrendous. And, and yeah, I remember when I was a kid, um, we were hanging out 
outside the stadium or the the, the, the oval. And I saw a pair of boots. No, I was only little at the, the boots, but the the studs that you screwed in, they were huge. Like you wouldn't slip over. Like if you slipped over, you you changed the studs in your boots. It was not like cleats. You screwed your studs in, and um, and sometimes in the mud you put the longer one in. But it was it was it was it was a really to get tackled on that surface. I, I couldn't imagine what that would feel like at times because. Mm. Yeah, three. You'd have your three games. Um, yeah, all the same, all the same. So, so you had three grades as a football team, and and you you were there that day. Yeah, yeah. And, and just before we finish up on the actual season itself, um, just a few key stats. Uh, as you could imagine, we've we've mentioned some of these players already. Um, but uh, the top try scorer for the season was um, Stephen Eller. That was twenty three tries, which. You know, regardless of how much a try is worth, whether it's three or four points, that uh, 23 tries in the season, that still um, stacks up to modern-day numbers. As to uh, the top point scorer, Michael Cronin, um, yeah. 279 points. So really want to push home the fact that um, the, the Parramatta were just a, a, an absolute yeah, juggernaut. And just time. on Michael Cronin, um, this was also during a time where your goal kicker to have 60% kicking accuracy was okay. Like it wasn't great, but it was okay. And, and and certain teams had kickers of that of that of that percentage. Michael Cronin really I remember as a kid uh, d- definitely reading about him. Um, you know, he was one of those why para was so good as Four got turned into six. Now he he was at the start of this era where you saw these um, goal kickers like uh, Michael O'Connor coming through, um, mm. where teams the team success really was built on the fact that four that that three became five or four became six because I think Griffo said it earlier that you know the conversion was more than half the try. So to get five points, to kick that two point, that extra two points was really important. So, so you know, he he really, he was one of those guys at the forefront of being able to turn uh, a try into a conversion and 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 do it well. Um, I think I remember a game he kicked one from the sidelines cracker, but yeah, it, you know, that it really was. I think I think that was the start of the. You know, you started to see goal kickers who, who, who still might have been toe pokers. Um, you know, Mal Meninga when he came in to rugby league and, and was kicking for Canberra, you know, he was just. But Michael Cronin was just, you know, point scoring machine. Really. Yeah. Yeah. No, we're just covering there, Griffo, as we welcome you back. That um, Stephen Eller was the top try scorer. Yeah. Yeah. Outstanding. With 23, and we, we were talking about how these numbers still stack up today. You know, 23 tries for the top try scorer and Stephen Eller. And Shane just had some uh, comments then on uh, Mick Cronin and uh, his top point scorer haul of 279 throughout the season. And uh, the, 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 the the goal kicking and the uh, the addition to the uh, general gameplay uh, for Parramatta was simply outstanding. Yeah, look, Steve Eller, um, known as the Zip Zip Man, um, a cousin to the, uh, I don't know if you mentioned this or not, but a cousin to the famous rugby union mm. brothers of Mark, um, 
there were three of them. Uh, Mark was probably the, the most well-known, uh, but they, they played with Runwick and, and were all Australian players. Um, and I remember they were asked, you know, you know, who's the, uh, who's the best football? They said, well, probably our cousin, Steve. Um, <laughs> but he was, he was amazing. Um, unfortunately injuries sort of curtailed his, his career, but, uh, yeah, great speed off the mark. Hence the, the nickname, the zip zip man, um, Mick Cronin legend of the game. Um, and yeah, a, a toe poker, um, but a great, great player and they named the grandstand after him of course in the old um Parramatta stadium you had the mick cronin stand there um but you, you know you, you got kenny um famous for i think in all those grand finals 81 82 83 he scored two tries in each of them um which uh is you know something i don't think's ever been done by anyone else um but they, they were they were the, the great Parramatta side. And uh, unfortunately for the army of blue and gold supporters, <laughs> many people would never have seen them other than on TV, you know. Um, but they were truly a great rugby league team. Yeah, phenomenal. And and another thing that really um, uh, came, came to fruition in this era was the state of origin football. Uh, now, prior to 1982, uh, there was, as we know, Famously, the first uh, year of Origin was 1980. There was the, the one-off game in 1980, and then again in 1981. Uh, fellas, this was the first time we actually saw what would become the, um, the State of Origin series in 1982, where we had three matches. Uh, so they were between New South Wales and Queensland, obviously. Um, we saw, you know, the, the expansion of State of Origin. This showed what a success state of origin would become but we need to put this into context for a lot of listeners who um are too young to remember like myself because there's something that came from the research was that not everyone was for this concept of state of origin and it was an experiment we had teams in the early days saying we're not going to release players we had journalists saying that the concept wouldn't be successful this was really the era, Griffo, where we saw State of Origin as something that was really successful and marketable, uh, as seen in this uh, expansion to three games. Definitely. Um, but very much still Queensland-centric. They, they took it much more seriously than, <clears throat> than those from New South Wales. Um, they were the ones that sort of started with resting players before the game. So whereas I'm pretty confident by the 1982, you played on your Sunday and you, you played Origin on the Wednesday. There were no camps or anything like that. Um, it just, again, the semi-professional nature of the game. But yeah, there was, wasn't the hype so much like it is now, but it started to grow. And, and I, I, you know, I, I certainly was fixated on it. And, and I, I started going, I don't know if I went in 1982 to the games then, I can't remember, but I know that um, within, you know, in those mid eighties, I, I, me and some of my mates would go to the SCG to watch generally New South Wales get pumped. But, 
but yeah, it was certainly the Queenslanders took it a lot more seriously. Um, and they, they sort of had a chip on their shoulder, I guess, because of all those years where they were getting pumped in the interstate series. And, and in some cases, you know, guys like Arthur Beetson and Rod Reddy, who were playing for New South Wales because they, their club sides were here. And, um, and the Queenslanders really had no chance in those games. Sometimes they get close, but, but uh, there was a gulf in talent. But 82 um, was the first. So it, it's really historical that that was the first three-game series. Um, I know Queensland won. I think it was a 2-1 series, but, uh, you know, I haven't gotten any stats or anything. Yeah. No, just to, just um, to help you out there, Griffo, um, the games that year were played on a Tuesday. The first one was on the 1st of June, 1982, uh, at Lang Park. New South Wales won that one, 20 points to 16. Game two was also played at Lang Park uh, a week later, on the 8th of June. Queensland won 11 points to 7. And the deciding game was played on the 22nd of June at the Cricket Ground in Sydney, where Queensland won 10 points to 5. So, um, and, and even like, you know, if you're, if you're interested and you want to go and have a look at the 82 series, um, s- some iconic players uh, for, for both sides. And um, yeah, it was really, really the birth of, well, not, not, not in a sense, a sense the birth of Star Origin, but the birth of what we n- know Origin as now. I think, I think also, um, to put it in perspective, I think in that Queensland side, there are only about five players that actually played in the New South Wales competition and four of those would have played for Manly. I know that Manly had a sort of larger contingent of um, Queenslanders with... Um, and Johnny um, Rebo was... Uh, yeah, John Rebo was on stage. one wing. And um, Kerry Bostead was on the other wing. Yeah, he, he, he came was, down He came he, down fairly young. Yeah, yeah. so uh, he, was, he would have been playing Roosters. for Roosters by then. Um, he might have got... started at Manly, Bookstead, but they did go. No, I think, I think, yeah. Or it was the other way around, but he certainly Paul. played for both of those clubs. And of course, you had Fatty Morton was playing yep. for Manly. Manly. Um, Paul McCabe, he was the, the North Sydney, uh, I think. Yeah, it, he was a North it, Sydney second rower. His second row, I think he, he was. Was he at Manly early on? Then it could have been, but yep. I'm, I know that he did play at North Sydney. Um, he could have also played for the. Sea Eagles. Uh, he did yeah. play for the Sea. Whether it was eighty-two, yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah, and yeah, and I think uh, from, and then I, I remember reading about this series, and from what I remember reading, I know did Mal Meninga get the highest? Was he the highest uh, point scorer? And apparently, that uh, was tearing people apart. Um, yeah. Funnily enough, not in game two. He. he, he um, Mal Meninga only played games one and three for memory. He didn't play game two, which... Um, okay. Yeah. Just on McCabe, he was at Manly in 82. Yeah. yeah. He was a good player. Long, a rangy yeah. sort of a guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, they had they had Lewis, they had Meninga. They had a huge uh, I'd say probably Bobby Lindner was still playing uh, up in Queensland at that stage. Uh, Mark Chris Murray, Post, halfback. 
yeah, I'm just wondering whether Chris Close was at Manly by that stage or if he was still playing in Queensland. Was, um, no, he was at Manly. So Choppy Close was at yeah, Manly by yeah, that. Yeah. 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 Um, so, yeah, there, there was a contingent of, of New South Wales-based players there, but uh, their main men, Meninga yeah. and Lewis, were, were still playing and, in Brisbane. And Gene Miles had a day out apparently in, in of game course, three Gene as well. Miles, yeah. the great Gene yeah. Miles. It was, you know... Um, yeah. I think he played with at Wynnum with with Wally Lewis. He did, he did. Yeah, that 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 an insane side. Yeah. Um, I'm just trying to think. Uh, yeah, I'm just trying to think. Um, was he at? Because he was at Wakefield Trinity for a couple of years. Wally wasn't he? Was he at Wakefield? It, yeah. In, in those 82? days, Shane. Though, what happened was they'd play. That was their off season. They'd go and play yeah. in England because the the. the no, back. sorry, Fortitude Valley. Okay. Fortitude Valley. Yeah, Fortitude yeah, Valley that's one? the that's in Fortitude, Brisbane. That's the Brisbane one. Yeah, yeah Wakefield yeah, Trinity. Yeah, yeah. Was his um, and he went off into the. But um, sorry. Uh, he went to Wynnum a bit later on before the yeah, World Cup okay. came. Yeah, I'm just trying to think because they had yeah at one stage, they almost had, they were the Melbourne Storm of their yeah. day. Yeah, and, and 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 as we mentioned before, they they were a team through that era that were part of the MCO Cup. So, you know, you, you're seeing these connections um, all throughout the competition, and it it really shows um, the quality in rugby league at that time through this Origin series. Some of those names that you guys brought up, and early on in the Origin series, there were also calls that you know with 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 timing in the Origin series and and. Some people even saw it and suggested this is a great way for us to to see the best of New South Wales versus the best of Queensland so that when we choose the Australian side, we have a fair idea as to who should be in the side. Now, we're about to talk about the Australian team and the kangaroo tour that took place in 1982. Uh, It's a very famous one. Uh, They're called the Invincibles. Now, the Invincibles... um, uh, in some of the um, research I looked at uh, this week, uh, the Centenary of Rugby League book put it very simply that the English fans had never seen anything like the Kangaroos of 1982. And there's also a great uh, comment here from former English Test halfback Alex Murphy who described them as a team from another planet. Now, this was a team that just could not lose. And a lot of the players that you guys just mentioned, some of these great players of the era were a part of this Invincibles team. This was just not only a great way for, you know, rugby league and the, the great players of the time to be celebrated, but a, a great way to finish the 1982 season. Oh, yeah. That was like... The other thing is, I suppose, sadly, international football and and the tours and everything doesn't... Did, like, even into the late 80s and early 90s, to tour Great Britain or, or to go over there and play for it, you were playing top-notch rugby league teams. You weren't playing, you know, it wasn't that Australia would go over and win. In actual fact, it was quite the opposite. Australia would find it very hard sometimes to, to beat these sides. It was a big deal to go undefeated. It was a massive Huge deal to deal. go over there. And it was a massive deal if you come away with, with, a win, with a win. So to come away not only with a win... But to go undefeated and and to look at the caliber of players that went over, it was just it was just phenomenal. Like, 
I, again, I, I'm too young to have, I didn't see it, but Griffo, I, 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 if you can chime in here, and you might have been talking about this um, before we went on air. I remember, um, was it, so you had Krillich was captain and um, Wally Lewis was, was vice captain, but they actually played um, Kenny and Sterling as yeah. a halves combination. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because that, that was the whole series, I'm yeah. not sure, but I know. But just because they were just so yeah. phenomenal. Yeah. Like, and Wayne, just... Wayne Jr. Pierce had a phenomenal um, entry into the Australian Kangaroos. He was outstanding. Mm. I remember getting up because you get up and, and you get <laughs> the game live from, from England. Um, and, you know, you don't matter what time it was on. Um, you get up and watch that. And um, so you had this this blend of... And he, Wally Lewis wasn't that old at that stage either, um, but he was a, a more experienced uh, campaigner at international level. But he, yeah, he, he did lose his spot. Uh, um, I think maybe Stevie Mortimer might have been on that tour as well, but they went yeah, for... Was for the Parramatta combination of, of Sterling and Kenny. Um, and I, I think Wally might have been on the bench. Yeah. Um, but it was a, it was seen as a big thing because he, while he might not have already been dubbed the king by that stage, he was certainly the dominant player in state of origin. Um, but yeah, he got usurped there. But, I mean, Brett Kenny was one of the all-time greats. Mm-hmm. Um, a very different style, obviously, to, to Wally. Uh, Kenny was much more of a, uh, yeah, like an elegant ball runner. Was Wally, you know, was best known, I guess, for his his passing game, his long passing game, but also he just had the power um, where he could, you know, just bust tackles. Kenny was not like that. He had the step, he had the swerve, and he had the speed. Um, and he did play a fair bit of centre representative level as well, Brett Kenny, um, outside of Wally Lewis. So, yeah, you, you had this this great blend of of youth and experience, uh, but but largely youth coming through. Yeah. Um, and the the England, the Great Britain side at the time, um, probably not as strong as traditionally because. For most of you know, for most of the time, uh, Great Britain were the dominant force in rugby league. Mm. It probably wasn't till the maybe the sixties um, where the Australians sort of gained more. Certainly into the seventies where they gained dominance. But it was it was to, to go through undefeated was something that had never been imagined before. Um, so this even was... even against France, like back in the days, like the the times of the sixties, and yeah, the, the French side, you'd get beaten by France. You get you know? beaten, and I know the seventy eight Kangaroos won uh, won mm. the Ashes, but then lost both Tests yeah. in France. Yeah. Now, um, a lot of that was put down to the influence of the referees <laughs> on those games. Um, now, to what extent that was true um, as to the winning and losing of the games, I'm not sure. But they were persecuted by the referees in France 
Um, and that, so it's hard to judge just how strong the French side was. Um, just as a bit of a sidelight, wonderful to see that France will host the 2025. Mm. Yep. Um, I know we'll probably talk a bit more at length about that in our next episode, but um, congratulations to the French and the French government have played a big role in that. Um, and we might talk about some of the history of what happened uh, in the Second World War, um, where rugby league was outlawed, basically. Mm-hmm. But but for that, for our next episode. But but yeah, this '82 that was groundbreaking, um, and then it sort of almost become an expectation that that the Australians would go over to the north of England and, and basically decimate uh, um, their teams. Um, and I think because- also Griffo, it's. You know, like it's not that they're called. I often, in reading about this, think they're not just called the Invincibles because they won. They didn't just win; they they belted them. Like yeah. they they hammered Great Britain in every game. They 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 just didn't. And I think Mal Meninga, like he was kicking goals. I remember reading. I think in each of the he might have like in the forty to in the forty the four game. You know, I think he got eight from ten. You know, like yeah. like I'm not too sure how hard they were or anything, but you now this guy coming through who would later play for a club that starts in eighty two, the Canberra Raiders, you know, you're seeing the birth of of these great players. Um, I think in the first game you had mentioned Wayne Pierce, he might have been man of the match. Yeah, he was outstanding. And and you know, like just you're starting to see the birth of these careers where throughout the 80s there were household names in rugby league yeah and this also there was a there's a bit of a difference in the quality of like i think the australian game was going towards professionalism Mm. whereas in the north of england they hadn't quite hit that yet so in terms of training and fitness and it was starting to come in and uh, wayne pierce was at the forefront of that he was seen as maybe one of the first super fit guys um, compared to even those within within uh, Australia, but particularly in relation to the, the, the English and, who were, you know, running around still with uh, beer guts and whatnot. So you just <laughs> don't see that anymore. Um, sorry, Graham, I interrupted you. No, I was just going to just jump on the back of what you guys were saying and link in a bit... Um with Shane's comments earlier about Wally Lewis um, uh, going to play for Wakefield Trinity. Over the next three years after this, we started to see English clubs target a lot of these players who were a part of this um, Invincibles team to come and be a part of the um, the English competition and play. Absolutely. And, and mm. just, to, just to name some here, I've got a list here. I'm, I hope I haven't missed anyone, but... We have Peter Sterling who um, who played at Hull, yep. Kenny and Ella played at Wigan, Eric Groth at Leeds. You mentioned Wally at Wake uh, Wakefield Trinity, and Meninga even played at St Helens. So he's a, were... he's the legend at St Helens, yeah. like St Helens legend. As you know, um, Sterlo, uh, Sterlo uh, yeah. a legend at yeah. Hull. Yeah. yeah. And you could almost say, not, I, you know, whether people think I'm drawing a long bow here, but this was no. really the birth of players going to England and well, being sought out by English clubs to to, to play um, the, to play over there. The, 
the thing was, Graham, you know, they, they wanted the best players playing for their club, so they went to Australia. They also wanted to learn about the professionalism that was starting to occur in clubs and how they could run a club more professionally. And, and you know, and these players, it wasn't just a... It wasn't a stuff around for these players. I, I think both Kenny and Sturlo are in their respective teams of the decade, the teams of the century. Now, because, you know, yeah. they're, they're not, they're, it's not that oh, Sturlo went over and had a run. I think he is the halfback for the whole team. Like the, they, had a, they had a thing where he, I think he was named their halfback for their team. Yeah. That's not, that's a hell of, that's, that just goes to show how good these guys were. Yeah, unbelievable. Unbelievable era, unbelievable. Well, it was an unbelievable season, wasn't it, fellas? Just to, to really wrap up, um, it, a lot of people it, pro- it, it, probably don't realise the significance and it's it's great to celebrate it 40 years on. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, I, I just think that um, it gave, it, it really, we talk about those years in rugby league where, you know, maybe on the ground you probably didn't realise what was going on or if your team didn't go so well, they're not that memorable. But 82 really was a year where rugby league started to say, all right, let's get serious about this. And people like Wayne Pierce coming in and being ultra fit and, and starting to put rugby league first. You know, that was one of the, the key things that, that sort of springboarded into 88 when we started to see what was happening in 1988. Um, and the, and the transformation that took place that, that that pushed rugby league into the 90s that ultimately led to the to, led to the war but um you know it it really it 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 happened quickly that that this that this um that the game we love now today um became professional and and you know we see what we see in front of us today when we go watch rugby league and i think i think it was the work done by people back then that that's the reason why we've got such a successful game today. Oh, I think absolutely. Had, I think had people, you know, I, I, I was talking to, um, I was talking to someone about uh, rugby just recently. And, you know, I used to go watch the Woodies play. Um, and, and I really think that, you know, when rugby league looked at itself in the mirror, especially around this 82 season, it saw what it could be and where, rugby union sort of sat on its laurels and thought, well, everyone's just going to play our game because our game's the game of gentlemen. And you look where that is today. You know, rugby union was, was a very popular sport in 82 and highly prestigious game to play. So I think that when we look at, when we look at these things, I think those decisions that were made then were really ahead of their time and somewhat revolutionary and going into the, Arthurson Quail era, it, it really did springboard to what we have today. So the people who were involved really, you got to dip your hat to them because, yeah, taking a, a team to Canberra, inviting the Illawarra, there were massive risks that, 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 that paid dividends yep. in the long run and, and really springboarded the idea of expanding into, into the north. Um, the way they did, and and northern teams accepting that, yeah, okay, we'll give it a go. Look what look at look at Canberra, you know. So because you know when you look at Canberra came in in eighty two, they 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 had 
you know, it, they, they might have finished last in their first year, but they, they had some pretty good years after that. 87 that was true. their first grand final. 87 against Manly was their first grand final. Yep. 90, was. Nine, 89 nice. was their first win. Uh, they won again in 90, uh, lost in 91 to, to the Penny Panthers, where Penrith won their first one. And, and then, then had 94 and had success mm. in the 90s. They had a formidable side in the 90s. So. Yeah, they talk about the, the 94 Raiders as being one of the all time great club mm. sides. They were great. Hard to they argue. were good. They were very good. It's, um, yeah, I think yeah, uh, uh, it's, it, it, it's one of those iconic seasons, I, I think, and we're still seeing, um, we're, we're still seeing the effects of it, of it going on now. Um, we mentioned Canberra there. They had some great success. Uh, Illawarra, the other club that came in, uh, they 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 had some 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 success over the over the years, and um, we know that um, their fate well, wouldn't turn out exactly the same as say Canberra, who are still uh, a part of the competition. But uh, by the um, yeah by the end of the century, they had merged with uh, St George, and uh, they are now. Still a part of the competition as St George Illawarra. Yeah, I think, and I think, um, I think, I think there's a lot of people at Illawarra that would look at that merger and probably say, yeah, we we could have fought, we could have fought to stay alone. Um, definitely, we're developing a club of of great talent. Um, didn't have the money. They just yeah. didn't have the money, yeah. and they didn't. And the thing, the thing was, the Steelers club just just couldn't float them. This couldn't happen. Yeah. Just uh, looking through the list of players from that year, in, in one of those uh, fledgling clubs um, was a fellow by the name of a 22 year old by the name of Craig Bellamy. Mm. Uh, <laughs> well, Raiders. Um, one of the things with the Raiders, um, I was reading when Canberra, when they were trying to build the team, they said, uh, we not necessarily want to build a team. Now, if we're going to bring people down here to begin with, what we want is football brains. We want people who know rugby league, who can who can sell rugby league to the community, who can who can who can show what rugby league and can talk rugby league. And um, you know, when you look at those early, and that was that was one of their mantras for the first sort of four or five years of their uh, of 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 their growth from not eighty two. And when you look at the people associated with the club, I think two of the best rugby league brains ever in Tim Sheens and uh, and Craig Bellamy being associated with those clubs. There might have been something that in you that. You mentioned Tim Sheens because uh, uh, he was a 30-year-old uh, by that stage, Tim mm. Sheens, and he was a oh, 31, sorry, playing with the Panthers. He played yes, his whole he was. career yeah. at Penrith. Yep. Um, best known as a coach of the Raiders, yeah, uh, and of course uh, a winning premiership winning coach at the West Tigers as well. But uh, he was uh, in his playing career, one club man. Yep, um, and then a few years later, of course, after uh, probably he might have retired in eighty one, possibly eighty two, but he led Penrith as a coach to their first ever. Uh, semi-final series uh, just a few years later. So it was some very interesting names it, um, to go yeah. through the list. Uh, I suppose it Penrith, was it Penrith 
did Penrith have, was it Sheens, then Ron Willey, and then Phil Gould from memory? Uh, that would be right, yeah. I'm yeah. pretty sure. Um, I don't so think there was think... anyone between Sheens and, and Willey. Yeah, because I think I um, it was Ron Willey, what was it? Was he South Sydney 84, 85? Yeah, he was listed uh, as uh, I think Ron Willie was coaching the Bears. Yeah, um, in that year, eighty-two. Uh, mm. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, he was coaching the Bears in that year, and uh, obviously a, a hugely successful coach. Good coach. Um, yeah. Coached at Manly. Um, coached at the Bears, got them to the semis, and took. Uh, the Panthers um, not to the grand final in 89. They fell one shy, mm. but uh, but he was instrumental in, in developing a lot of those yeah. players that went on to, 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 to under Gus Gould to, to win the grand final a couple of years later. They were developing, yeah. It was a, yeah. Well, they're developing a brilliant team from, from juniors, which is, you know, always good to see. Yeah. Yeah. Well, fellas, that's uh, that's 1982, I think, wrapped up. It's been a very enjoyable episode. I, I really enjoyed looking back, and uh, I know the fans, um, you know, those who remember 1982 would have loved the trip down memory lane, and those who, uh, like myself, are a bit young to remember it, really got a history lesson today in hearing of uh, the importance of um, some of the things that were happening around the time. And um, look, we're really now um, looking forward to um, getting ready for the, the 2022 season. Um, so as we're recording this, it is, um, it's January 2022. Uh, not too long, fellas, we'll be talking pre-season and then the season itself. But uh, before we get to that, I want to thank you for joining me today. Thanks for your input and... Um, also, thank you to the listeners for being a part of the show with us today as well. Um, absolutely, yeah, absolutely, thank you to um, listeners. Um, yeah, and for and for all your nerds out there, I think eighty two was actually the first year of the Commodore sixty four. <laughs> there you go. Seventh, the seventh of January. I was, was going to say, I thought the Commodore seventh, came out in Seventh of January, nineteen eighty-two. I think was when the okay. Commodore sixty-four came out. Yes. Yeah, and if you're someone of my era, uh, you would remember what the Commodore sixty-four was. Yeah. So, yep. For those who are into their computers, we've got you covered there those who are into your rugby league we'll have you covered over the next few weeks as we count down to the season but uh thanks again for joining us thriller today. Just look thriller back. was 82 i think good song uh, uh, around that time <laughs> i've been a year or two later but that era invasion of the Falklands was 82 wasn't it uh that was 79 but it was still thought of in 82 were they still doing something in 82 Oh, there would have been uh, some of them. I watched the crowd. Uh, in April. Dexys Midnight Runners were big then too. They were, actually. That was there. Yeah. yeah. Tom and Eileen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You haven't heard the last of them. <laughs> See you, everyone. <laughs> Bye. Bye.